and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 68 of the Whatever Show. Um, we have been gone for quite some time, so we have so much show, we, we're not even sure where to put it all. Um, we're going to try to fit it in the That's next... That's what she said. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you know, ironic on the day, uh, we, we got a women's march going on today, which we're going to talk a little bit about, I think, um, amongst other things. Oh, that's right. I was being culturally insensitive. Oh, yeah. Well, it's okay. We all do that a little bit. Um, I don't even know that that counts. I don't think that counts. No, maybe not. Uh, Windows update. Uh, we're going to complain, bitch, uh, whine and moan about Windows update, probably. Um, we've got some more Mark Hamill as the Joker coming our way, which is awesome. whole bunch of DC stuff. Um, we've got new Green Lantern rumors, uh, which I'm super excited about. We've got Marvel talking about Deadpool again. We talked about that a little bit more. Uh, an Oscar nomination for Deadpool? Uh, potential. Yeah. yeah. As Matt said, you know, uh, if, if Donald Trump can be president, uh, then we can have an, a Deadpool winning an Oscar. It's fine. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the least the world owes us at this point. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of Rogue One news for you this week and some talk about the reshoots. We talked about that actually actually on the show when that was happening, but we got some more insight into the reshoots and the reshoot process with Rogue One. Um, we're going to skip over TV because the only thing that's out is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Matt's not caught up, and everything else doesn't come back until the next week, hopefully. Um, comics. we got some comics to talk about. Yeah. Pretty big issue of Dark Knight uh, uh, 3. And we're going to finish up with some wrestling. As, as per usual. As per usual. Yeah. Let's get to it. All right. Yeah. So uh, as we record this, uh, yesterday, a new president was sworn into office. Yes. You might have been one of the 23 people that were there to see it. Um, probably you weren't though. Yeah, I doubt it. No. Um, so President Donald Trump, uh, was inaugurated yesterday, uh, as the 45th president of the United States, uh, much to ours in the world's chagrin. Um, it was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, not a lot of people showed up for the inauguration. The estimates are around 250,000 people, um, which, you know, doesn't sound, that sounds like a lot, but when you compare that to, um, uh, Obama's 2013 inauguration, uh, having over uh, a million people in attendance estimated. Was 2013 in the, or was that 2009? 2009 was like 1.8. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, the, the, you couldn't get anywhere within near where, um, um, the inauguration took place today. Uh, it, you see the pictures, uh, which is kind of funny. There's a whole bunch of news that came out of this, but the the one that's kind of really stuck in my craw right now is this whole crowd size thing because um, today, from you know our first press secretary um, press briefing was uh, Sean Spicer essentially yelling at the press and telling uh, the press how the crowd was the quote unquote biggest crowd ever. Uh, for an inauguration and um, it definitely wasn't I mean you see overhead shots and you can tell there there's a vast difference in the previous inauguration so uh, day one we're outright lying to the press Um, been a lot of attempts uh, by the White House actually to whitewash the comparisons between Obama's inauguration and uh, Trump's inauguration and uh, it's not working because every every news media outlet's been like no no this this footage is actually from this exact time and you're just not right yeah uh and i like that because there's a lot more news outlets today calling uh you know like one of the things that i've been a little bit concerned with is that there's this isn't the first time donald trump has told a lie uh not even close or oh really i didn't know a false truth um but usually the media like skirts around it like they they somehow are not going to be fair if they you know just outright call a spade a spade and say no that that's false um so but no a lot of headlines they're running with today are basically like you know 
that's false. Donald Trump wrongly tells, uh, you know, the CIA today met with the CIA and um, spent the whole time meeting with the CIA, backpedaling on him, uh, saying intelligence communities um, were, were, you know, pre- you know, treating him like this was Nazi Germany. That was a tweet from last week. Today he says, oh, they're, they're the greatest. We got the best intelligence agency in the world, and he's going to be right there with them as he goes on and on about how no his one, crowds were no huge. one respects the intelligence community more than Donald Trump. Yeah. My crowds today were huge, and I, I love and I respect you all. Um, yeah. So, full of shit. You forgot to do this. Yeah, I, I did. And I'm not sniffing nearly as much, which actually, if you can hear it a little bit, I am a little sick. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to you know keep that to a minimum on the mic, but whatever. Um, uh, but anyway, interestingly enough, maybe not everybody turned out for the inauguration, uh, but today we had a women's march. Um and everybody turned out for that. Yeah, way more people came to that. Yeah, there was an estimated something like 750,000 in Washington, D.C. alone. And this is a cross-continental. Um, um, one happened in every all 50 states. Um, and this actually spanned across uh, pretty much all the continents. Antarctica, Partici- Antarctica, Australia. Yeah, I mean, Australia you get, but Antarctica actually had, you know, the, the 50 or so uh, uh, women and scientists down, down there. Pretty uh, sure there were some Middle Eastern countries that were participating as well, which is pretty yeah. telling when you think about it that's that's kind of crazy crazy awesome really yeah um but yeah uh millions of people came out for that today literally millions um you know portland where we're at had a hundred thousand people come out in portland as the estimate um in texas uh austin i think it was um they had around two hundred thousand people in austin boston was another big one i think they had around one hundred fifty thousand people uh Um, los angeles was estimating that they would have eighty thousand and they ended up having one hundred and seventy thousand people so yeah so a lesson that uh, Donald Trump, us like us married men, have learned and should have learned long ago is you don't piss off the women. Uh, uh, it's a bad move. D.C. officials actually had um, a lot of streets blocked off trying to kind of steer the crowd um, to the White House in, in a very specific and, and orally fashion. And there were so many people that showed up to the march that they basically had to open up those side streets and tell people just get there however you can. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of cities, I think, where the march part was actually canceled. Um, because they couldn't march because uh, there's so many people it's standing room only you literally can't march yeah um so the, the rally wasn't canceled obviously they had a very big very successful event um but y- you couldn't actually march so we're day two in the trump presidency and we've got um a, a very sizable portion of the population now coming out to say uh no we, we're not cool with any of this and uh and then we've got the press secretary in a very 1984-esque uh, uh move outright lying to the media he means the book, by the way, not the actual year. Yeah, no, not I don't the year. Know, I don't know the press secretary uh, during the Reagan years actually out and out lying to people. No, this is pretty unprecedented. Um, In fact, uh, one of the tweets that I saw bannered about today was uh, something along the lines of, like, even ne- uh, Nixon's press secretary didn't flat out lie in this manner. Like, uh, um, there might have been some untruths or, or something like that told, but those were usually lies of... Uh, um, ignorance more than this, anything this really reminds me of uh saddam hussein's uh ministry of information uh tactics that he used he used to have the ministry of information and a minister of information yeah, that would... you know that's a comparison that's been drawn a lot uh, today the other one that yeah. immediately sprung to mind and as was, was uh our, our dear leader you know kim jong whichever Oon. uh Oon Ung Il, um doing the same kind of thing you know of course the the crowds of course were for kim jong were the only ones that were larger because probably the whole world came to those if you ask him um same thing with donald trump you know there must have been a a 1.52 million people there is what he said today to the cia when that's uh verifiably false uh not even he was he was trying to say that 250,000 people at the ball yeah which obviously is not the case no 
I, I, you know, I, I just wonder, maybe he just doesn't get numbers. Like, maybe he doesn't understand how they work. I mean, it, maybe he gets past 10 and then he forgets. That's I mean, why he didn't pay all of his contractors. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe. Yeah. I think, yeah, numbers might confuse him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, also, I think uh, the English language confuses him. The Constitution definitely confuses him. It does not get that. He's having he's having big problems with the Constitution. Yeah, he doesn't like that whole freedom of the press, freedom, yeah. of, the freedom of speech thing. Does not like that one. Yeah. Um, seems I mean, to have a problem with the, the whole lawful search and seizure thing, too. I mean, he's not a politician, though, so we got to give him a little bit of grace, I think. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> eighth grade civics, maybe a little bit beyond him, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, he never went through the public school system. Obviously. Um, I did, which is where I learned civics. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know how that is going, but... I'll, uh, I'll tutor. I mean, if he wants, I could tutor. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, you might have to, given uh, his his pick for uh, Secretary of Education. <laughs> Betsy DeVos. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise known as the highest bidder. Um, yeah. 9.5 million in campaign contributions. And, oh, look. All of a sudden, she's got a nice, cushy appointment. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's really interesting, too, because she's totally qualified in that she's not at all qualified. $9.5 million in campaign contributions to the campaign that, um, by the way, he funded himself. Yeah, completely. So, do that math. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump, serial liar. Uh, the answer, the end. Um, all right, so I'm already been kind of pissed off about this enough today. So let let's get on. Let's get on to something <laughs> slightly less frustrating. And and but this, only just yeah. Th- this actually frames this very nicely, and that is uh, Windows Update. So Matt, tell us about Windows Update. Uh, so I woke up. Uh, this was about a week ago, I think. Yeah, this was last week. Yeah, uh, was I think Tuesday maybe? Probably. Uh, I woke up and. Uh, I came downstairs and my computer was shut off and it didn't surprise me because I was actually watching something on Plex the mm-hmm. night before and all of a sudden I just got a message saying that the media server had gone off the network and I lost my media and I was like, well, whatever. I fix that now. Yeah. yeah, I was already in bed. I was like, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I came down and the computer was off. Uh, not off, actually. Um, it was on, but uh, my monitor... In the uh, upper right-hand corner, uh, or my, on my right monitor in the upper left-hand corner, was a blinking cursor, which is never a good sign. No, no. Um, as there was no USB media attached or anything like that. So uh, it took me probably 10 minutes before I realized that it was uh, actually an error caused by an update that rebooted my computer and then uh, borked it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I had to uh, boot into recovery mode into Windows and uh, repair the uh, the boot sector, and then it told me that it was going to finish installing its updates before it let me into Windows. So, yeah. So, okay. For the one thing, um, I'm totally on board with automatic updates. Like, I like Google Chrome's model, for example, of like never think about updates. You open the app and it's up to date, or the next time you open the app, it'll be update up to yeah. date. You never think about whether it's updated or not. You never have to worry about, you know, are my users going to be using a browser that supports this feature that's relatively new if you're using a browser like that because it's just always up to date. It, it definitely, like, when we're talking browsers, I prefer Google's method, uh, hands or tails over uh, Firefox. Firefox, I stopped using it altogether for a long time because every time I would open my browser, it seemed like every other day yeah, it, it would there's ask an update me to restart it. And, yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, go on. But uh, Windows Windows is taking that model too. Um, you know, and Apple's done this uh, certainly with iPhone and iPads and stuff like that. I don't know how what the update solution looks like on Android. Is it up to, Is it fairly 
unobtrusive or it you can know. be dependent on your carrier if it's left entirely up to google then it's it's usually pretty solid but uh i will say that android is a little bit less stable with its updates and because they try and uh push updates to the oldest yeah. phones that they can in the uh in the in the upgrade chain it uh, it does tend to be a little bit more of a headache. Yeah. So on on the Apple stuff, um, usually there's a box you tick, and um, or I think it's automatically ticked for you, um, where it'll automatically update all your apps in the background overnight when your you know phone's plugged in and you're not using it, and it'll automatically download firmware updates. And I think um, now there's a thing it'll ask you, you know, do you want to update your phone? And you can do that overnight while you're sleeping. You hit one button or something like that. Uh, the Windows model is probably the most frustrating model though because it's sort of it downloads all the things and then it's just like, ah, oh, we need to restart your computer. And you're like, no, I don't want to. And it's like, no, but really we need to. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, I've noticed my computer will just reboot in the middle of the night and update itself and, you know, stay on all night. Like it won't put itself back to sleep. It just stays on there after updating. But what's been really frustrating about this lately is that, um, the updates keep failing. Uh, and part of this, I, I should put the disclaimer in front of this that I'm on the fast ring, which is like their preview channel. Yeah, we um, both are. Yeah. And, and so, you know, some of that frustration might be eliminated by that. Um, but one of the things I noticed is that it's probably the longest update process. Like when I actually have to sit there and watch it update, it probably takes a good 45 minutes to update for major builds. Um, that that's a little frustrating. The other thing that's a little frustrating too is that a lot of the times it just does it on its own um, and y- you can't really stop it. Like it's it's the worst thing in the world when something breaks and you have to reboot your computer and you can't get back to it for 45 minutes um, well, because it's decided now is it going to update whether you like it or not. And, and here's the thing, since Windows 10 is released, the only way that you can actually uh, turn off automatic updates. So if, if say for example, you're planning on having your computer up for seven days straight or whatever and like you need it up for that time yeah the only way to guarantee that is to actually go into the services menu and and turn off windows, windows update, update yeah in the services like and it's it's terrible uh i mean i could i could edit the service so that it it, it doesn't even start back up on restart yeah but then there's a lot of apps that i use my comic book library uh for my digital stuff is all managed through um, an app called cover that mm-hmm. i got through the windows store and um it can't verify that I've paid for the license for it if you have automatic updates turned off. Wow. So then yeah. I got to go turn it back on um, or be limited to 25 comic books in my comic book library when, in fact, we all know I have much more than that. Yeah. So, so yeah, Windows, the, the update situation there, they, they just need to fix. It sucks. Yeah. Get better at that. So, uh, you know, of course, being the mature and responsible uh show host that i am i immediately tweeted to windows using the show's twitter account <laughs> that had some choice words for them um here's the thing they would have been better off not replying to me yeah probably because they're just like oh well windows update is the fastest way to keep your or the easiest way to keep your computer safe and secure and so of course my response was so safe and secure equals having to repair the boot sector after updates. Okay, I shall update my expectations accordingly. <laughs> like, yeah, that's not a good move. Yeah, don't don't blow smoke up my ass, Windows. I get it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you tried. It, just try try yeah. harder. Do yeah, better. and then they're like, oh, is everything okay now? Well, yeah, it's okay now I because I it. fucking fixed it. Because I, I wasted a whole bunch of my time to fix the damn thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
so anyway, Windows Update, kind of a shit show. I, I really wish it would improve that process, especially with just, you know, again, they it's fine. You know, like, I don't necessarily mind them cramming updates down my throat. What I mind about it is that it's so intrusive. Like, when I, you know, like, the Google Chrome thing happens without really me ever thinking about it. Like, I when I close my browser sometimes, it updates. When I don't, you know, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, I feel like sometimes the ordinary updates... But I never notice it's, it's a zero-second thing. The ordinary updates, I, I, I sometimes feel like they almost take as long as a service pack, and that's not really Yeah, it does okay. seem like updates these days, um, even patches, sometimes take longer than they probably need to or should. Now, the anniversary update, like that's, that is that is what it is. It's it's kind of an overhaul of, of Windows 10 as we knew it. Yeah, that's, to a, some big, that's a big thing. I get I get that every now and then there's yeah. maybe like a service pack or something like that, that. I didn't necessarily want it on all of my computers until I figured out if it was going to mm-hmm. stick me with options that i didn't like like that's the other thing too is when the anniversary update hit um it didn't tell me ahead of time that it was going to reset all my default apps and my default power settings and everything else and see and that's that's another just they need to get their head out of their ass on that one because they do that with rather deliberately like they because they want to you know cram like the get office app down your throat again and they want to you know try to get you to use edge again and it's just really shitty yeah and guys (coughs) here's the thing I'm not going to use Edge. I mean, I, I know Eddie's used it a couple times uh, recently. I tried it, and it's not bad, but I, I think on the particular build that I'm on, it was really crashy for me. Um, so, you know, again, don't, don't necessarily take that. It's not even the build that you're on. It's, that's, that's how it's been since day one. Really? Yeah, I've, I've not liked it. Um, and don't ever fucking, like, I get it. There's native PDF support now, and I can appreciate that to some extent. But don't. Just don't. Yeah. <laughs> I have my own things. Don't tell me. When I'm changing my default apps in the default apps menu, that I that I'd I'd be better off leaving it the way it is. I know how I'd be better off. Yeah, I can do it. All right, I can make these decisions. It does get a little pretentious. Like that's a level of pretension. I, I don't even think Apple reaches with its. You know, you can change some of the things like that, and they don't. They don't like. Are you sure? Yeah, you know, if you just use and that. Here's the thing: if Apple doesn't want you to change things, they just don't let you. Yeah, that's a good point, though. Too. <laughs> like so, um, I don't know, but yeah, that 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 bugs me too. Like. uh you know, if you just leave this as your default, it'd be so much faster. Like the thing that it keeps telling me is like, if you just left Edge as your default, you'd save so much battery. And I'm like, bitch, I'm on a desktop computer that's yeah. plugged into the fucking wall and can never be anything else. I'm not yeah. really concerned with the battery loss. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I do like extensions though, which I, Edge finally supports, and that worked out pretty well. But when you go see the extensions page in the Windows Store, for, there's like four. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's pretty bad. There there are um surprisingly most of the ones I really wanted were there though. Like um uBlock Origin, there's an experimental fork of that you can find on GitHub. It's not very hard to do. Um, I just googled it, found it in four seconds or something like that. LastPass is the other one that like I absolutely cannot. If you want my me to use your browser ever, it has to support LastPass. Period. Um, and until I stop using LastPass, that's going to be the case. Like, there's no way I can use a browser without LastPass's support at this point. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, the Edge was fine. It was pretty quick, um, except for, you know, it was crashing into weird, you know, weird things. But, I, I like, you know, if you said it's that way all the time, whatever. But yeah. I just assumed it was, you know, because of the build I was on. Because there was a lot of other things that are kind of wonky on this particular build. So, I figured when we update next, I'll try it again and see what happens. I, I kind of don't have any desire to not use Chrome ever at this point like it's kind of my go-to and it's yeah chrome's okay except for chrome is starting to get a little overweight like it's it's getting a little bloated these days and um i'm always on the fence about how much shit i want google to know about me like yeah especially these days where um the the nsa has even more power than it ever has and now i i know we've got a narcissistic little child uh, um running that that you know branch 
or, you know, we, we will, we, we've got a narcissistic child in, in charge of that branch who, you know, if I tweet something shitty at him because he's saying something stupid, um, <clears throat> I never know if he's going to like dig into my shit now. So yeah, that's very true, but yeah, still, I mean, it doesn't worry me. You can go check my Twitter's history, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. it doesn't worry me that much. I tend anyway. to shoot first and ask questions later too. Yeah, so. pretty much. Um, all right. So windows update, get your shit together. Uh, yes. And before we move on into uh, out of some miscellaneous stuff, uh, Mark Hamill. Um, Mark Hamill, our favorite guy, is back. He's got a couple more links uh, or a couple more um, Trump tweets as, as the, the Joker, the Trumpster. Yeah, um, and they just still remain gold. Like it's just really sad that this can exist because um, it, it's it's both hilarious but also kind of sad at the same time. I I, I don't know. See, and here's the thing: is I I hope uh, the Donald Trump account is now archived like the Obama account was. Mm-hmm. Um, since he's officially taken over the POTUS Twitter. Yeah, see, that's an interesting one because what I'm curious about, I don't know if you noticed, but he he has the POTUS Twitter, but he's still tweeting primarily from his at the uh, real Donald Trump. Is he? At least he has been in the last couple of days. I haven't, I haven't paid that much attention. I know yeah. he just took over the POTUS one yesterday, so mm-hmm. uh, not nearly as as fun as Obama's first tweet from his his. Uh, yeah. Barack Obama account when yeah. he was like, "Hey, is this thing on?" Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I don't know if, if anybody remembers that, but, but yeah, Barack was one of the early, you know, he um, adopted it way early, way early. Yeah, so even in two thousand eight, during the the um or two thousand seven, two thousand eight, in the run up to the um uh, election, he was you know using Twitter and, and Facebook and stuff. <clears throat> but he hasn't been using the Barack Obama account basically this entire time. Like every now and then you'd see like basically a maintenance tweet. Like it, when, especially when the ACA came out, you'd see a tweet from the Barack Obama account, you know, saying, you know, go check out this tweet on, on the POTUS account essentially. So, yeah. Um, I actually looked at that as soon as I knew that, uh, that Trump had taken over the POTUS account. I, I went over and, and looked at the, uh, Barack account. And it actually, at that point still said that, um, that it was basically an archived account that was being maintained. Yeah, and that if he tweeted from it, legitimately there would be like a a bo behind it. Yeah, uh, and then it was like an hour later that he sent that out, and I went back to the the Twitter account, and none of that stuff was there anymore. It was That's just funny. like, hey, this yeah. is who I am. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it didn't take him long. No. Um. So anyway, uh, we get notes in the show notes, um, or links in the show notes to um, the Mark Hamill thing. If you uh, don't remember, for example, you can go to whatever.co slash 68, and you'll find this week's uh, uh, show notes. You can click any of the links there and all the fun stuff we put in there. Um, also, we usually just put them in the podcast episode, so if you got a decent podcast client, just scroll down or whatever. Yep. Um, but anyway, those are in there. Um, I wish that these didn't have to exist, but on the other hand, I'm glad that since they do, they, 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 they do exist. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. I think Mark Hamill's doing God's work right now. Yeah. Not even believe in God, so there you go. <laughs> Keep it up, Mr. Hamill. Yeah. Uh we'll be back after a refill. See you in a minute. Okay. DC News. Oh, you want to talk some DC? Yeah, let's talk some DC. Uh let's. So um we're gonna save that big one for last, I think, because I think that's gonna turn into a, a, a more of a discussion than sure. anything else. Go for it. Um so first off, we have um The Rock. Yeah, that's Dwayne, uh, the Rock, Rocky Maivia, uh, yeah, Johnson. Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. So he uh, has sent out some tweets recently, basically saying that um, he is going to turn the DCEU around. Well, he didn't really say a turn around because he that would imply that they're doing bad things right now. But um, he did say that he is going to bring um, an energy and a lightheartedness and funness uh, 
to it in in his as his portrayal with Black Adam, and I wasn't really sure if he meant in the Shazam movie uh, or what, but apparently he's also getting a solo Black Adam movie. Wow. Yeah. I did not know the solo movie. Didn't either. Uh, just something I heard today or yesterday, somewhere around there. So, how do you think they do a solo Black Adam movie? Do you think I that's know, gonna be like some weird origin? If you can do it right, yeah. Because then you get be. the Rock for two movies, um, and I and I think the right way to do it is you do the Black Adam movie first, honestly. Yeah, and you know, the the Rock looks really good for Black Adam. I think we talked about this before when it was mm, maybe just yeah. in the rumor stage. Um, and, and I well, think he's been Rock, confirmed for Black Adam for like quite a year and a half. Okay, two so years, maybe so. we just talked about it before, and I'm misremembering. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he looks really good for that. And, and but I'm surprised to see that they're going to do, or, or you know, that there's a a fairly solid rumor that they're going to do a standalone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I I'm totally going to dig it, but uh, or I assume I'll probably totally dig it. But uh, it, that's not a character that I would think of um, being a standalone contender. Uh, me either. Uh, and that's the only thing I think it's got working against it. But I think having the Rock be, he's got to be enough of a draw at this point yeah. that he can put some asses in seats. Yeah, people are going to go see it. Yeah. So. Uh, and, I, and I think that is probably the best way to do a Shazam movie is you do Black Adam first. People are then invested in the Black Adam character, um, whereas they might not give a fuck about Billy Batson or yeah. Shazam or Captain Marvel. But I don't think they can use the Captain Marvel name. No, I don't think they're going to use Captain Marvel. So. I think that's already done. I think it's just Shazam now. Yeah. Um, so. so Dwayne's Dwayne's feet says uh, DC fans will start to see the shift in tone in future movies. Exciting time. And I'm fired up to help usher in a new DC era. So now what's interesting about this is what does he mean a shift in tone? And because Black Adam, I don't like Black Adam's dark ish. He can be maybe more, maybe less so than, um, you know, like uh, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy is. But uh, he, you know, he's he's a darker villain. He's got a he's got a better, uh, a pretty big, bad backstory. So he can be uh, the whole thing, though, is is uh, if you look at the Shazam character and like Billy Batson character, uh, you know, he's basically a 13 year old kid. Yeah. Um, who turns into a superhero. And so any comic book with him in it that's kind of told from his perspective is is kind of lighthearted and, and whatnot yeah. because he's more of a... Um, I mean, he's a kid. I mean, you're picture yourself as a 13-year-old kid reading a comic book and putting yourself in that place, and that's that's what you're getting. So yeah. you can have a lot of fun with those stories, I think, even though Black Adam is a bad dude. Um, but I think they fleshed out the Black Adam character in the comic books quite a bit over the last... 15 20 years um to the point where they can probably give his character a little bit of depth and maybe even make him not necessarily um the big evil as much as you know uh yeah. somebody who's been twisted into doing what he's doing for reasons <laughs> yeah it, it's just i mean it's interesting because i think when when i read this tweet i i he um uh saying that there's gonna be a tonal shift in dc generally means things are gonna get lighter and, and probably more you know marvel-esque at this point um, i assume uh, because it's been you know relatively dark grim dark you know this this last few movies um and that was one of the main criticisms i think of batman versus superman is even superman is is so uh, um you know like daria that uh, it gets uh, a little <laughs> on my nerves um so yeah, I, I don't know. It, interesting to see that, that that would that would be a character that helps take that in that direction. You know, I, I could totally see Shazam, um, Billy Batson especially. I could totally see you know for all the reasons you just said. Um, telling a comic book story through a thirteen year old boy. Um, it definitely you'd think that would be a lighter tone, funner movie. Um, so maybe maybe that's what he means though. Maybe he's gonna because he's definitely gonna be a part of that either way. Well, and aside from his uh, scuffle with uh, Vin Diesel on on the set of Fast Eight, like what I've heard about The Rock is that he's 
a good dude to make a movie with. Like he brings yeah. a lot of energy to the set and, and is, he's fun to work with he and everything. Like... And I kind of have to wonder how much fun has been had on set so far in mm-hmm. the DCEU stuff. I would bet the Wonder Woman cast is probably a little bit more lighthearted. I hope so. Um, just behind the scenes and whatnot. But I can't imagine a lot of people really having a ton of fun on set. At Batman versus at Superman BBS. or Man no. of Steel. I mean, just yeah. that schedule had to be so relentless, especially with all the shit that was packed into that movie. Yeah, for sure. So, um, all right, well, cool. We'll look forward to it. Um, you know, like I said, I think I'm pretty on board for the Rock playing Black Adam. So, and and we've been on 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 board for a tonal shift, um, in the uh, DC universe <laughs> since Man of Steel. Since Man of Steel. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, let's uh, jump to TV real quick and talk about. Eddie Thon and Ronnie Raymond and how they're coming back to the flash later this season. Yeah. Um, so Eddie Thon, I'm not really so super surprised about what I am a little surprised about is, uh, um, Ronnie Raymond. And that's only because Robbie Amell left basically of his own volition, I think to go do some movies. Um, he did, uh, what's that fucking movie called? I think it was on, um, uh, I want to say Netflix. Lifetime? Oh, <laughs> no, the, the, he did a small movie on Netflix called like Ark. I want to say. Oh yeah, yeah. And then yeah. there was another movie he was promoting um, that I caught through like uh, Amel's Twitter, which was another similar, you know, smallish sci-fi movie, um, and that looked interesting too. Um, but I'm surprised to see. So I'm a little surprised to see him coming back because I thought um, the 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 Ark movie at least did pretty well. So, uh, I mean, maybe. Who knows how long he's coming back for? I, mean, I also wonder how they set that up because you know we've we've got a firestorm right now. We do, and that's actually kind of why I'm interested to see what happens when he comes back. Not only that, um, but we also have Caitlin Frost, and she is, in fact, uh, a meta at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so how he reacts to the fact that she's essentially uh, Killer Frost light right now. Yeah. Uh, and then I do want him to meet up with uh, with her current Firestorm to see how that works out. Yeah, I'm also a little curious, too, because um, the way that they wrote him off the show was he, he got lost in a black hole. Like, yeah um at the end of season one i think yeah yeah but i mean we've got some timey-wimey wibbly-wobbly stuff going on with barry so who knows yeah it would be funny if they just like uh like they did with hartley like when uh yeah. barry fucked the timeline the first time and hartley's all of a sudden just a good guy that's come walking through the lab like maybe just Ron- robbie uh robbie yeah ronnie ronnie raymond ronnie robbie in real life um ronnie just comes walking through and he's like hey guys i'm back from that trip you know just pour himself a coffee and yeah <laughs> it's been a while glad yeah. to see y'all blah 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 um yeah so you know cool we're um, also we're also gonna have uh you think eddie thon's gonna be another of those wibbly wobbly timey wimey things or it's gonna be i mean he has to be dead so yeah uh flashback like, maybe literally shot himself in the chest so i think they did a flashback thing with him already though so they can't overuse that one too yeah, much i think i think he's i think he's gonna be back for at least a little while uh kind of excited about that too because i i didn't hate his character by the time he died so no um he, when they started the show he was a little bit too like one-dimensional like um well he's got to be the good guy in, in the way of you know him and iris getting together and then they you know killed him at the end of the, yeah. the thing and now obviously um uh, Iris and Barry are together, but you know that's the other big question mark at the end of the midseason finale. Iris is presumably dead or dying, yeah. or dying and well, dying in the future, I guess is the better way. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's not having something to do with it. Like, um, we've also got to get have some mechanism to get um, Canary uh back on Arrow. So there's a lot of weird time traveling and Colton Haynes dimension is coming jumping, back too, from what I understand. So. Things like that. Interesting, interesting. They're getting the bands back together, I guess. 
I gotta believe Guggenheim's finally started to feel some pressure. And uh, almost certainly, like, or maybe you know, they for for Christmas this year they just, uh, or maybe last year, um, his birthday. I don't know. They, they got him, you know, like a just a giant like uh tool to help, like a crowbar probably to just help him get his head out of his ass. Maybe. Yeah, I, yeah. I can only assume. They gotta do something. Yeah. Because I mean, not that Arrow's bad right now. Arrow's actually um not let me down yet this season there's been a couple episodes that have been not as strong as others but for the most part we've had a pretty decent run on arrow yeah but i think colton haynes can only improve things because it's it's always a lot of fun when he's around yeah and they had another interesting you know he he left under similar circumstances i think he was going on to go do something else yeah and uh, it wasn't necessarily because the character wasn't performing well i think we were actually all kind of bummed at the time when he left yeah um because we enjoyed that and so I, i'd like to see that come back to you you know so. yeah totally for sure so, okay, now we are going to jump back into the DCEU uh, to talk about the big one, um, which was the, um, it was a tweet. John's tweeted. Yeah. Uh, As in, in, Black Jones. Is, in Blackest Night or something like that was, or in Brightest Day. I don't know. He tweeted something that was just really vague, but um, it was, of course, later revealed that the reason that was happening was because um, we're getting ready to start production on the Green Lantern Corps. Um, it is a script penned by david goyer and justin rhodes you know david goyer because he helped write um the batman dark knight trilogy um i think he was actually also involved in the other green lantern movie too. Uh, he also co-wrote uh man of steel and uh bvs as well yeah he's um i want to say a little bit controversial like he does good and bad he's one of those writers that i'm not never sure if i want to see attached to a project or not mm, yes <laughs> Yes. Um, similar to my reaction when I found out that Guggenheim is actually writing uh, X-Men Gold. Yeah, same. Which I'm still going to buy it. I honestly am because I'm. that's the one that I'm kind of more excited about of the new X titles. We'll talk yeah. about that later on when we talk comics. But uh, yeah, this is, this is interesting. Um, from what I understand that's been um, talked about now is that it's going to be Hal Jordan uh, and he's going to be working with new recruit Jon Stewart. Yeah. And it is going to be uh, shot a la buddy cop film, at least sort of. So uh, Lethal Weapon in Space is is kind of what I've been heard tossed around, been hearing tossed Which around. Which I think I like. I think I like for this. Um, you could do that with the Green Lantern Corps because they are essentially space cops. Yeah, for sure. It would, it would also kind of be... I don't want this movie to tackle too much. I would love this for this movie to... Uh, have a villain that isn't necessarily uh one that is a, a be-all end-all bad guy from the green lantern mythos uh i wouldn't care if we actually had them kind of encounter um a couple throwaway bad guys along the way uh a, a lighter movie to kind of get us more into the the green lantern universe so that we can move on and tackle some bigger stuff with the sequel i kind of think that's the only way they can go to because um you know, two of the biggest big bads in the Green Lantern universe are Parallax and Sinestro, and they blew their load on that with the last movie. So I don't think, you know, first off, telling a Hal Jordan story without mentioning Sinestro in there some way or some shape, it, it seems kind of silly to me. Like, they, they almost go together, not quite like the Batman and the Joker, um, not quite to that degree, but they, they are. They, I mean, I think you can have him. Yeah. I think you can have him in there in maybe some flashback scenes. Yeah, same. And then 
you can maybe even have them in there, um, you know, plotting something evil in the background, but we don't quite get to them yeah, in this movie. I, if, I, if it were me, Sinestro would definitely be a second movie villain. Um, the, the first movie, like you said, would be either, you know, pull from the back catalog somewhere. Get 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 somebody that um, we're not really familiar Give with. Give us Starro. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, just, you know, something else. There's a lot of other things you can do because of the Green Lantern uh, universe and size. Um, you could go something, you know, completely off the walls uh, uh, with that. But, you know, Sinestro, I think, has got to come up there at some point. Um, and, you know, there's other, you know, even bigger sort of galactic entities and things like that and, and galactic threats that they could do um, that would make a lot of sense too. So, uh, you know, I just don't want to see them, you know, rush into, you know, gigantic villains like that with no fleshing, no backstory um, and totally fuck them up. So, you know what I'd like to see introduced at the end of this movie? What's that? Guy Gardner. I would love to see Guy Gardner pop up at the end of this movie. Like, yeah. Uh, honestly, I'm really loving Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps right now because it does sort of get the, like, uh, using this phrase a lot, but gets the band back together. Um, we get all of, uh, the, the at this point, we've got all of our major lanterns, essentially, with the exception of um, Jessica Cruz and uh, fucking Simon Bass. Well, you said major, so I wasn't really yeah. counting them. Anyway. I mean, they're brand new. They've only got a few issues under their belt, basically. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, we got most of the, the fan favorite lanterns under our... Um, one title at the moment which is a lot of fun and i think that's a good way to do a green lantern core uh, um sort of thing so that they're calling this movie i think green lantern core you know and here's the thing with the green lantern franchise if they do it right and they stay faithful to what it is to be uh green lantern and and convey that on screen they have a built-in soft reboot with kyle rayner because for sure you do a few movies with hal jordan and then the actor that plays Hal Jordan starts to either not want to do it anymore or he's, you know, getting up there in years and it's harder to tell those stories. And then all of a sudden you go Emerald Twilight. Hal Jordan goes nuts. Yeah. You know, I then mean, you get Kyle. I mean, it, it's it's a good story. As much as I love Hal Jordan and, and you know, I'm sure you're, you're probably the biggest Kyle Rayner fan. Um the, the, you know, it's not tied to necessarily one one person, one lantern. So I think if they use that in the story, it could do well. Um, so I, I like that setup a little bit. You know, the, the not necessarily the buddy cop aspect of things, but the idea that uh, Hal Jordan's a mentor for for um, uh, John Stewart and using that as a plot, you know, point way to move the story forward. That that's an interesting way to go about it. I think. Yeah. See, when I started getting into comic books and whatnot, um, I didn't have Hal Jordan for very long. Uh, no, I got Kyle Rayner and, uh, that's all I had. And, and except for back issues, like I, and, and I did, I picked up a lot of back issues, you know, and, and read some of the Hal Jordan stories, but, you know, staying current and moving forward, it was, it was Green Lantern and that's all I had. So, um, or Kyle Rayner. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously it was Green Lantern, <laughs> uh, Kyle Rayner. Uh, and, and I liked what they did with his character and I liked how, um, they explained how he got his ring, why he had his ring and, and, he, very similar early Kyle Rayner was a, was really similar to um uh, uh Jessica Cruz in in that uh, he no, was a no little confidence well he was kind of cocky at first and then and then his girlfriend got uh cut up and stuffed in a refrigerator nice. and um after that he kind of doubted why he was there and then Sinestro played on that and I think you've read some of the more current stuff where he still refers to Kyle Rayner as a street rat and yeah um tells him that in his day in the core there's no way he would have ever gotten a ring and <laughs> that kind of stuff so uh but they didn't 
overplay it like they do with Jessica Cruz because that's kind of the thing that that grates on me with her character is like every issue it's like oh I'm a shitty lantern I shouldn't be a lantern oh never mind something gave me the confidence that I needed to be a good lantern yeah literally almost every book I've read with her in it yeah there's that aspect of it yeah and and maybe that's why I haven't read Green Lantern since uh they tied up the uh it's getting a little better but, but not I mean it's still not where I want it to be yet so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how far we have to go out. I, I, I'm not saying, like, it would be a good idea for there to be two issues where she's unconfident and, you know, questions herself and then go on to be full-on, you know, super confident, badass, Hal Jordan-y style. I got the willpower to do anything, but um, <clears throat> I don't know how long I want to go through that. I think we know enough about her character at this point to now see it evolve. That's kind of my whole thing. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about comics later, but... Um, so, anyway, the the movie... Uh, I'm super excited about it. Uh, it's it's kind of one of those things where DC movies are like the abusive ex-boyfriend that you can't not go back to. I know. He just keeps punching me in the face, but he's going to change. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how it's gone. Same thing. We're excited about a Green Lantern movie. and not Nobody's excited about a Green Lantern movie. No. Like, I, I mean, like... Even if I were cast as the Green Lantern, I'm not sure I could be really all that excited for the Green Lantern movie. Or I'd, I'd totally understand if, you know, people weren't um, because of how, you know, bad the last one was and how, you know, DC's really kind of fucked up I the last. You have the gray around the temples. I mean. Yeah, I'm getting there. I just a couple. I just need a power ring. It's basically. either that or uh, they can cast you as Reed Richards in the next Fantastic <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'm lanky enough movie. for Fantastic Flop. Um <clears throat> Plus, I drink enough as it is. Like, I, if I had to come home and read reviews for presumably what the next Fantastic Four movie would be, I don't know. Yeah, think? Yeah. 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 It would be bad. Um, but anyway, uh, I am kind of excited for this, though, because we're getting a lot of indications that DC's finally getting its head out of its ass a little bit. Um, they've got, uh, you know, Jeff Johns running the show now. And Jeff Johns is, I think, responsible for some of your favorite Green Lantern stuff. Oh, yeah. Didn't he? He basically rebooted Green Lantern's rebirth, I think, was um, as in before, you know, led up to Flash Rebirth 2, um, where we got Barry back. Um, I, I think, yeah, we talked about this several times now. That was one of the things that they did really, or Johns did really well, especially with how he handled, you know, retconning out the, the you know, fear of yellow just because, or wood, for example, or blah, blah, blah. Johns did um, Green Lantern Rebirth, and then he took on the green lantern comic uh pre new 52 so volume four i think okay um wrote that entire run and then which i have most of in trade up there on that shelf nice um so he wrote that whole run and then continued writing uh through 24 issues ish i think in the new 52 okay yeah, but I know we've talked about this, and I know that um, you, you in particular were a big fan of his work on Green Lantern, and so that gives me a little bit of hope that you now he's going to be overseeing that project. Um, you know, Goyer, like I said, uh, love him, hate him, I can't really decide. Um, he's responsible for some dumb stuff in the, the Dark Knight trilogy, but you know, the dumb stuff in the Dark Knight trilogy is still vastly better than most of what we've seen out of the DCU lately. So, Well, and obviously, he did something right if our newly inaugurated president is essentially stealing dialogue directly out of dark knight rises <laughs> yeah we did see that where he quoted bane 
Yeah. And now we give the 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 government back to you, the people. Yeah. That's my best Bane voice. It's not very good. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, it, it probably sounds like more like like Wilford Brimley or something. You're no you're no Kevin Smith, but no, you know. Oh. Um <laughs> Uh, you're, so, you're essentially half of Kevin Smith, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got all the talent in his half. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I I, I cautiously optimistic. I'll say. Um, I, I think they they everybody knows they fucked up last time. I think they there's got to be some and there's some good minds working I'm, on it this time. I'm so. all for it. We're just now starting production, so the earliest we're going to get it is probably 2019. Yeah, I, th- I at so, the earliest. I wouldn't um, surprise me if that doesn't even push back until 2020. And well, I think that was the original slated date, but I think there there's a couple open dates now in DC's calendar that they're like, oh, we should put this could out there. slot into really easily. Um, but I mean, think about it. If we if we get it 2019, that's eight years removed from the last Green Lantern movie, right? That's I mean, Spider Man gets rebooted way more often than that. Like, yeah, if there's four months between Spider Man reboots, it's shocking. We're lucky, yeah. yeah. So. Fantastic Four is due to re- be rebooted any minute now, or something. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm. You're, you're cautiously optimistic. I'm actually really looking forward to it and just hoping not to get my heart broken again. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Uh, both of us are pretty big Lantern fans, especially you. I think you're definitely the bigger Lantern fan at this at the table. And so, whenever you hear any news that anything is coming out that way. You get really excited about it, and then you have to caution. You have to slow yourself down and be like, "I don't know. Could be like that last time." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. All right. So let's talk some Marvel news. We got uh, a couple of things to talk about. We're mostly just going to talk about Deadpool. Yeah, we're going to talk about Deadpool. Why not? <laughs> um. I was just mentioning Matt. Actually, I just rewatched Deadpool, and uh, it's totally fitting that we're talking about it now. It's sort of a uh, coincidental because I didn't even really think about it. I'd read the show notes by this point, but I didn't even really think about it when I was watching the movie. Did I you really? S- I still totally dig it. I did. I did. I've read the show notes within the last week for sure. Um, yeah. No, this movie actually holds up. It's like every time I watch it, it's still charming as fuck. It is. Um, maybe the no, even most of the jokes are funny as funny to me or maybe even a little bit funnier. But I, I, I really like how this movie's put together. Yeah. Um, it's edited really well. <coughs> uh, the story's told. Like the, the pacing is is amazing. The pacing's done really well in this movie, but I, I especially like how they do the quasi flashback thing in the movie mm-hmm. too. And I think they mesh that together really well. And then knowing all the backstory behind it too. So um, now that the movie's come out and there's been more and more uh, news and stuff coming out about it, like knowing all kinds of little things. Like in the beginning of the movie, um, uh, Deadpool forgets his bag of guns. Yeah. Uh, and. It turns out the reason he forgot his bag of guns is because they were going to film a scene where he had a bag of guns and he was going to go totally crazy with all these different weapons, uh, but they couldn't afford it. So he forgot his guns. Like, that's how they told that in the story. It, it, it is a superhero movie that is done extremely well. It stays extremely faithful to the core uh, characters in it, but doesn't get so far up its own ass that you can't enjoy it. Yeah. Um I mean, which for a Fox comic book production is pretty goddamn amazing. There's so many things in there like that, though. Um, that that I just you know knowing that. So one of our first pieces of news is actually a little bit that way too. So, um, as we all know, Ryan Reynolds was cast as Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern movie. Um, they that came out I think in 2011. Um, so in 2010 when they were making Green Lanterns, as it turns out, uh, he was you know staying in a house with uh, Rhett Reese and. Uh, Fuck, why do we always forget his name? Paul 
Paul. I don't know. Whatever. We do always remember Rhett Reese, but then we never remember. Rhett Reese has got such an uh, um, interesting name, I guess. Um, but he was staying in a house, basically writing that movie while he was working on Green Lantern. And it's kind of funny because they were like, well, if uh, Green Lantern takes off, they're, they're never going to let me play Deadpool because they're not going to let me do both characters. Um, but if, you know, Green Lantern totally fails, they're not going to want the fucking guy who killed the Green Lantern franchise to do Deadpool either. Um, so it's kind of funny because Green Lantern obviously totally failed and, and he still did get to go on and, and do Deadpool, so... Yeah, yeah, this is this is actually a direct quote from this article, and it was funny because he says, um, I quickly called the executive I knew at Fox who had Deadpool, and I said, look, I'm standing at the altar right now, and I'm about to say I do to someone else. Yeah. I will walk away from this if you think that you can make a Deadpool movie with me. And he said, unfortunately, no, I don't think that's going to happen. So I went off and did Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah, good thing that things worked out the way they did, um, because it would have a little uh, obviously... The world would have been a little worse off not having Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I still totally dig the movie. Um, this link in the show notes here with Ryan Reynolds Paul talking Wernick, more about Paul Wernick. Thank you. Um, I got Paul. I got Paul. Halfway there. One day, Paul Wernick, we're going to remember your name in full. Um, but uh, I still did totally enjoy watching the movie, and it still is totally awesome. Um, which is maybe why it's got a potential Oscar nom coming. Yeah. Yeah, so um, this is kind of interesting. There's a potential uh, for Deadpool to get an Oscar nomination, possibly even for Best Picture. It it all comes down to the Golden Globes, basically. Yeah, uh, Golden Globes, and then I think the um, it it's been nominated for things in all the different guilds except for Screen Actors Guild. It's the only one that didn't mm-hmm. that didn't nominate it for anything. Um, so with all the support that it's getting from those, then now there's there's a lot of buzz around the fact that it may actually be thrown into the um, Oscar pool. And uh, they said Best Picture is not altogether unheard of in a situation like this um, because they've expanded from five to ten nominations now for Best Picture. So, yeah. Yeah. So first off, I I will be shocked, just floored, if they actually manage to take home a Best Picture, uh, um, uh, Oscar. Um, would not actually be all that surprised though to see it nominated. Uh, I think this movie did actually do quite a lot for the industry as a whole. Um, number one, well, there's a lot of things. Like again, knowing the backstory, this is a movie that Ryan Reynolds and uh, uh, uh Rhett Reese, Paul Warnick, and uh, Tim, Tim Miller. Tim Miller. Um, that one I knew. I got you back, Timmy. Good job. Uh. <laughs> Even though you're not really involved in Deadpool anymore, but whatever. No, yeah, but knowing that they were trying to get this movie made for so long, and that that you know all the ups and downs behind that, you know them, you know one of them famously leaking the test footage, and that being really what lit the fire to actually get the movie made. Um, but knowing stuff like that, uh, knowing that this movie was made on a shoestring budget relative to the other superhero movies, and even with that concession, they made a bunch of really, uh, you know, they made a really cool movie anyway. Um, knowing that this being an R-rated movie, which is death d- these days for box office sales, and still totally killed, um, I could see a lot of good reasons why you could nominate this movie for Best Picture with a straight face. Yeah, R is almost the new NC-17. It, at this point, it really kind of is. Like, uh, they, they, I'm sure, had to fight very, very hard for that R rating, and I'm sure probably one of the only reasons they got it was because they got such a tiny fucking budget that it wouldn't, you know it wasn't going to lose that much money for fox um it it was um i was pleasantly surprised to see that they they got the r on this because i think really to do deadpool well you need an r rating um 
And I'm sure we talked about that on the show before the movie came out. Yeah. And obviously we've been vindicated by now the movie coming out and having its success the way it has. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's not a hard, it's not an easy sell to get an R rating on, on a movie, especially a movie like this. Well, and the success of Deadpool um, with the R rating intact has led us now to where we're, we're seeing Logan now in two months with an R rating. And so far we've only seen four minutes worth of footage but it looks fucking amazing. It does. It looks it looks amazing and I think this is another movie that's going to be really well served by an R rating and I also don't think that it's going to keep too many people away from seeing it. Like um you know, sure would it be cool if I could go take my kids to see it? Uh yeah. No, no but, because they won't give a fuck. Yeah, that that's the thing though. Like <laughs> the, the the people who really care about this movie are not like 13-year-old, you know, uh, uh kids and stuff like that. Um it's the um my oldest us. is almost 13. I'm not opposed to letting her watch Deadpool at this point. Yeah. We've had the talk, so there's not really anything in there that, you know. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 I don't know. Um, my kids are still quite a bit younger, so the, the, they got a while before they can see Deadpool. But um, anyway, it, it, the people that want to go see Logan, the people especially that want to go see Logan, are the people that have been following this movie for, you know, if nothing else, for the last 10 or 15 years uh, since uh, um, fucking Hugh Jackman's been playing uh, um, Wolverine. Um they're the ones that are going to want to go see it. And unless you were, you know, two when you first saw uh, um, X-Men in the theater. 17 years now he's been Wolverine. Yeah, there you go. came out in 2000. You could have been a baby when you first saw the movie and you'd still be able to go see an R-rated Logan now. So I, I say that's good. We're good. That's pretty crazy, right? Really it is, yes. And it also makes it a little bit even sadder that um, he's hanging up the claws. Yeah. And kind of really points out the fact that I'm old. Yeah. But anyway. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> um, Did we put that in here? We didn't put that in here. We didn't. We didn't put the trailer in, but we can. I mean, we can throw it in the notes. It's, we, we, I don't we're think gonna we have s- to throw it in the notes, but we definitely got to talk about it. Yeah, like no question, we got to talk about it. There's there's quite a bit of stuff that we didn't see in the first trailer that we're seeing now. Um, we actually kind of uh, we know that it's in 2029. Yeah, is the year that's set in. So that's that's cool. Um, and man, that little kid, Laura. Yeah. Uh, we we presume there, there's no reason we should not think this. Uh, we presume this is Laura Kenny. That's X twenty three. Um, she's a clone of Wolverine in the comic book continuity, at least. Um, she's notable because she has two claws in each of her hands, mm-hmm. and she has two claws in her feet. I believe she only have one claw. In her one feet. claw in her feet. Uh, one claw in each of her feet. That is. Um, but she's a badass. Uh, so number one, this movie, uh, this trailer comes out in two trailers. You can go see the uh, uh, green, the green band trailer or the red band trailer. Although I do recommend the red band trailer, and only for one single joke at the end of the trailer. Um, so you should go check that out. But one of the things we find out pretty quickly is that uh, this is we we got a kick-ass little kid here. Um, yeah, and it is definitely Laura Kenny. By the way, it's not that's that's no not question. rumor anymore. That's that it's is straight what up it Laura is. Kenny. I was I was just hoping they weren't gonna pull like a um you know like change the name or do some weird shenanigans to get to um, Wolverine. So, but that that actually kind of explains fairly well that um that that I think they're gonna probably try to pass the torch a little bit with Laura Kenny and get her to be Wolverine. Yeah, we've we've got some uh, cast members that do not have names yet in the. Uh, Logan list, but that doesn't shock me too much. I mean, obviously there's the, the the cast member's name, but not the character names and stuff. Yeah. So I think we've we've got some surprises maybe ahead of us that they're they're holding back. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um. 
Okay, so yeah, let's talk about the Logan trailer for a second then. Uh, number one, uh, first funniest thing I noticed is there's now X-Men comics in the X-Men movies. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and I like it because I'm pretty sure that the, those are just straight up. That didn't happen without Deadpool. Yeah, those are just straight up uh, comics they pulled uh, um, off the shelf somewhere. Like that, that that's not like a made for the thing. Like it, it's funny cause the way they talk about it. Like, you know, that didn't, you know, maybe a quarter of this happened and it didn't happen like that. You know, people died and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then he's like, and I didn't wear the tights <laughs> or something like that. Like there's a, there's a nod about the costume because yeah. Wolverine's costume obviously never makes it anywhere near the X-Men movie, which is kind of a shame, but it, it would look probably pretty ridiculous. So, um, Here's the thing. I'm not saying that this is going to happen for sure, but man, uh, if we continue on uh, with the franchise with Laura Kinney as I, as I want her in the costume, yeah, uh, I I think they do it at that point. I think they do. Yeah, I, I could see it too. Um, first off, wearing tight spandex lycra, uh, you know, whatever, uh, makes a little bit more sense on a woman than it does a man. Um, yeah, but. Uh, I was uh, just reading the Inhumans versus X Men, which we're going to talk about later. Uh, and Laura Kinney's in there for a, l- a little bit, and she's in the costume. And gosh, it looks really cool. For those of you following along at home that may not be familiar with the X Men properties um, as they currently stand right now, Wolverine, as everybody knows him, is dead. Uh, we have a futuristic version of Wolverine um, who's referred to as Old Man Logan, which is kind of similar to how the the new movie is going to be set. Yeah, they're um, definitely pulling some inspiration from there. Yeah. Although it's going to be quite a bit different, but and and Laura Kinney is Wolverine now. Like that's 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 her code name. That's what people call her. Like that's that's yeah. her thing. So, um, if we make references to Wolverine, uh, we'll try and be careful think, to identify which Wolverine yeah, we're talking about. X twenty three is also um, Laura Kinney too. Uh, that's yeah. another one of her. That was her. That was her code name when she was cloned. Yeah, so there's a good chance we we may just call her X twenty three. She's the twenty third variant, yeah. So, um, it, but there's there's I don't know I, I I guess I don't really have to worry about spoiling a trailer. But there's so much to love about this trailer. Um, when uh, just the even the way it opens, um, different music this time. We don't have uh, we don't have Johnny Cash. No, but they had another uh, super dope uh, choice in in place of Johnny mm-hmm. Cash this time, which is a uh, Kaleo Kaleo. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. K A L E O um uh song way down we go um go hit that up on youtube that's a super good song um and it showed up in this trailer and and uh maybe something else because i I remember googling for it a while back um but that again brilliant use of music in this thing i'm very impressed by the way that they choose to do music in these trailers um but uh you know, also, I guess just the way they're handling these characters in general, like I like the, the little bits of dialogue we get between, um, him and uh uh xavier i like the little bits we get between him and x23 um that that i think is a lot of fun um the joke at the end of the red band trailer is the funniest thing like ever uh so you know go check it out if nothing else just for that um but yeah just and just the sheer brutality of it like um you know you you got a guy with uh, razor sharp knives attached to his you know fists and and same thing a kid with razor sharp fists or razor sharp knives attached to their fists uh that's not going to be a clean fight where nobody gets hurt um no so i i like and and that's not you know who these characters are at all either uh logan is just a brutal motherfucker like he he he's you know gets stuck in that like beastly rage um that you know the 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 bloodlust and and goes nuts and we've really only seen glimpses of that uh x2 was a good example when they uh uh uh, uh bobby cox's men invaded yeah the, 
the mansion. That was a pretty cool scene. Um, I think we got a little bit he of that too. That in that was amazing. Yeah, in the Wolverine, we get a little bit more of that. Yeah, because um, they they finally allowed a little bit of blood in. I gotta that watch movie. that again. I haven't watched that in a long time. Um, that's the best two acts of a Wolverine movie we've had so far. Yeah. Uh, they they kind of screwed the pooch with the Silver Samurai ending, but um, what do you what do you want? Yeah. So um, I'm just hoping that they manage to uh, even some of that out with this next movie. So, um, you know, I, I really want this to be nothing better than great um, or nothing worse than great um, because, you know, they, especially Hugh Jackman at this point deserves it. He's played this character for so long. And, and Wolverine is such a beloved character, especially from, um, you know, our circle, um, us nerds who like X-Men and X-Men comics and stuff like that. Um, that that a proper send off is probably welcome, especially yeah. since probably not seeing Wolverine in, in films, at least not uh, Logan's Wolverine in films after this for quite a while. I, I feel like this may not be the Wolverine movie that that you want, but it is definitely the Wolverine movie you deserve. Probably, yeah. As in, <laughs> we we don't necessarily want this to be an, the end of Hugh Jackman's run, but um, we 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 really want this to be really good. So, and I just was trying to steal a line from Jim Gordon. It's fine, but you know you can do that all the time. Um, uh, except for the line where he says very cliche, like in Batman Begins, oh, I got to get me one of these. Like that, that was probably, I hope that wasn't a Goyer line because if so, my faith in this Green Lantern's <laughs> project is shaken. Uh, Jim Gordon. Yeah. I can't believe that. I can't believe Gary Oldman didn't read that script and was like, you want me to fucking say what? Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, we've already said this in like every movie ever. I, I didn't they say this in Will Smith and the Independence Day? Didn't they yeah. do that already with the thing? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just do it again. It's fine. All right. So the next piece of news, I'm going to go ahead and skim the notes while Matt tells me a little bit about it. Um, it is what it is. I mean, there's not really a lot to talk about it. We have an untitled X-Men TV show that's that's getting ready to to hit the tubes for next year, I think. Uh, and Sentinels are going to be in it. I just, it's the last time we had Sentinels in an X-Men TV show. It was animated and it was, you know, in 19 fucking 90 or whatever. So, yeah. So what was interesting about this and what I immediately thought was, are they talking about Legion? But no, they're talking about a different X-Men yeah. property, which is awesome. More yeah. X-Men is always good. Yeah. I I, I really feel, and I'm going to segue a little bit before we talk about our next uh, major topic. I really feel like Marvel is, is kind of backpedaling on their original intent behind burying the X-Men. Um, it It's kind of apparent with Fox having more TV shows that are relevant to the X-Men now. Um, and then the storyline that we're going to talk about when we get to comic books later on, um, they're very much relevant again. And it's about goddamn time. Yeah, really. Um, you know, and I don't think Marvel does themselves any favors by bearing the X-Men. Um, you know, th- there's not really a situation in which th- I think, I don't know, I guess, you know, with the Fantastic Four, we- we're seeing the opposite, but there's not really a kind of the thing about it is is it's marvel's fault they were so fucking broke that they had to sell off their ip yeah and to then try and kill off that particular franchise because you no longer own the ip to it is really childish and immature and i i, I think as we continue to exist in in a, a day and age where we are so socially connected to fucking everything um that you really have to be careful about doing that kind of thing anymore well, I just, I, I seem to remember like, um, like they don't necessarily like Fox doesn't have to lose for Marvel to win. Like if, right. Mar- if Fox makes good movies, Marvel sells more books. 
Um, if Marvel sells more books, there's a better chance that Fox is going to make uh, do better at the movies. I don't necessarily think this has to be such an antagonistic relationship. Um, and we're seeing that a little bit more with like Sony now, um, where where Marvel's getting its mitts in in the um, Spider-Man properties. Like they need to probably strike up a deal like that with the the. Uh, movie things because while fox hasn't done a shit job with x-men in the movies they also haven't done as well as they could have i agree and uh i don't know necessarily because they did kill fantastic four like we only have one member of the fantastic four that's doing anything right now I in think. the um books in the books in yeah. the books yeah um and that's johnny storm and he's chilling with medusa yeah as i say he's basically just being an x-men sort of Except for fighting for humans. Yeah. Um, and then we have, uh, I think maybe Thing uh, is a Guardian of the Galaxy right now. Okay. That, I think that's a thing, but I don't know for sure. But Reed and Sue are nowhere to be found. So, Gotcha. Um, they did essentially kill off the, the Fantastic Four comic book about the time that the uh, last hatchet job of a Fantastic Four movie came out. <laughs> I don't know. I even blame them for that. That no. might have been like a, you know we're taking this away until you know what to do with it properly. Yeah. And that's the thing is, okay. You can slap Fox's hand for what they did with fantastic four, but really when it comes down to it, like you can't really say the X-Men movies are fucked up and you've ruined the entire franchise. Like you, you yeah. can't, they've done a decent job with a lot of things. Maybe with X-Men last stand, they had a little bit of a case cause that movie fucking sucked dog shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on rewatch too, apocalypse isn't, as good as probably uh, we felt about it when we first saw it. I don't think I ever felt it was that good. I mean, it was never, I, 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 I was never blown away by it, but no. I think on rewatch, uh, I'd give that maybe a five out of 10 at best. No, I, I was really hoping that on the heels of days of future past that, that apocalypse would come out and, and just smash barriers, but it didn't. No. In fact, they just basically made him a slightly larger version of the shadow King. And I thought that was stupid. Yeah um so anyway yeah uh, so anyway x-men tv show sentinels that's cool. gonna happen and i'm gonna watch it because well i fucking watch all that shit so yeah uh so let's get into the star wars universe now yeah we're, we're you know taking a jump in the disney family i guess um, from marvel to star wars um First, uh, we're going we're to talk a little bit about the reshoots. Um, so for Rogue One, uh, we discussed a rumor, and not really a rumor, it was pretty much confirmed at this point, but we discussed before Rogue One came out, probably back in, I don't know, March, May, something like that, they were going back in for a ton of reshoots, and there was a lot of... Comp- 40% of the yeah, script, I think, they reshot. That That's what they, you know, the, the number that got floated around, who knows if that's actually the case, but the number that got floated around was that they reshot like 40% of the script, and at the time we were like, well, fuck, that's going to be, I don't know, that doesn't sound good, but I think even then we were like, well, no, because... Uh, we have a little bit of faith in Disney at this point. They they just want to make a good movie, and they're not going to let this movie come out and be a total flop. And it turns out we're totally pretty much right about that because yeah. obviously we both immensely enjoyed Rogue One. And as, as it turns out, a lot of the reshoots um, that we've now gotten a little bit of news about, um, we totally agree with. And you know, were some some of the scenes that made the film. Um, case in point, one of our links in here um, explains that the final uh, Vader scene was a reshoot. It was, yeah. It wasn't in, in the original uh, film at all. Yeah, um, which is amazing because uh, that's one of the things that I think I really liked about Rogue One is it managed to add to Vader uh, significantly um, in, in such a great way, and that wasn't originally in the movie. Um, 
we have another link in here that talks generally about reshoots as well. There's a lot of other things that they did to subtly add, you know, like another thing that they did was um, originally Vader's scenes um, that took place on Mustafar were going to be on the Death Star. Um, so I actually liked that they did it on Mustafar instead. Like, I thought that was a nice way to add to Vader's mythos again. Um, took us back a little bit. Um, I mean, obviously, we're not trying to necessarily bring the prequels into focus. Um, no. But uh, it does it does add a lot of of character development to Vader, just in terms of okay, this is where the worst shit in your life happened to you, and this is where you build your fortress. Yeah, it, you know? it's kind of interesting. I think um, along those lines, and we get a, basically experience Mustafar a little bit differently, and we also get a little bit more, I think, insight into Vader as a character. Um, anyway, there's a whole lot of cool stuff in here. Like you know, they basically change the story around quite a bit. And that's how we ended up where we're at, which I think is a good thing. Like they mentioned, there's a cut where, you know, pretty much everybody lives. And, uh, you know, I think that would have been the wrong way to go. I absolutely think that would have been the wrong way to go. The other the other thing that I hear mentioned a lot, too, is uh, Generoso's famous line from the trailer about uh, it's a rebellion. Oh, I intend to rebel, yeah. you know, that whole thing, um, which is fine. But I think if you leave that particular scene in, then the um, then the whole scene where they're stealing the. uh imperial shuttle Loses doesn't something. work yeah <laughs> so if you know she's gonna rebel uh when she storms off then you probably are expecting that so the way it worked out was probably better with her kind of being more sullen and forlorn and thinking that you know all hope was lost until uh cassian shows up and says hey no we're gonna we're gonna go and and do this thing so let's go yeah um so yeah i mean overall i think the reshoots ended up being a totally positive thing for the movie um or you know at least a primarily positive thing for the movie obviously they're not going to come out and say oh yeah we had this really great idea that we'd left out because i don't know why um but um you know the movie worked so just sort of indication again that um turns out reshoots not necessarily a bad thing no in no. fact and that's, reshoots are much better than producing a shitty movie that is i do remember when we talked about this on the show uh when when we found out that they were reshooting some of it and we're like yeah, maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe this is a good thing maybe not yeah. So. Well, I think then it was a little bit alarming because we were like, well, are we going to get a really shitty movie? Because sometimes reshoots mean we don't really know what we're doing either. And I think it's really the opposite. They they, they knew what they were doing going into it, but they were like, no, nah, this isn't working the way that we wanted it to. Yeah. And decided to keep tweaking that rather than just release a mediocre to crappy movie. There's, there's two ways that reshoots work. Um, one of those is that it's because the movie's crap and you can't get it to work period the other way is is like it did here where they had a specific idea in mind they shot the movie that idea wasn't conveyed to the level that they needed it conveyed yeah. and they go back and and redo some things that didn't work yeah for sure um the people that were in charge of this particular movie um it it speaks to the character that they were willing to admit that what they had in on print well it's digital but whatever yeah. didn't didn't work speaking of that did you know that uh episodes eight and nine are both being filmed on actual traditional film no i did not yep. uh, apparently they joined the tarantino fan club and uh, uh they're gonna shoot on film to preserve the uh more historical look that uh that the, the original films had and I, I believe seven was on was was shot on film as well yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. So. Um, and that's awesome because I, I think that really was conveyed very much so in episode seven. Uh, um, I think it helped 
the feeling. Yeah, there's a lot of things about that. And it also makes me happy, too, because um, although we can shoot pretty high res at this point, um, I think film can go up well past what, you know, like even 4K. So, um, yeah, we, we talked about this uh, yeah. either last show or the show before about how versatile the actual film is and that um, it's not as technically limited. And as long as you hold on to that master print, like you yeah. can do whatever you want with it later in the future. So. Yeah, so that's really cool. Um, I guess the the limiting factor there will be presumably there is a hard number on the um, digital effects. Like there is a resolution set to the digital effects that isn't going to be able to be easily scaled up in the future. But I, I guess theoretically you save all those, you save all that stuff, and then just re-render in a higher res when you got better better hardware. Yeah, I don't know. Be cool. I, I'd like to see. You can always it, digitize the print later on, and then and then redo the effects. Yeah, which is I mean essentially kind of what Lucas has done for the last thirty years. But yeah. Um, it'd be kind of interesting to see them do that that way. Like, um, and it'd be a little bit less intrusive than the way that Lucas has done it, which is basically to, you know, base change the tone and look at the film, um, you know, for a three second scene in the middle of the film. You know, what'd be amazing. What's that? I don't know if it's going to happen, but, uh, instead of pushing for an early release and getting, and getting episode eight in May. Yeah. If we, if we held on to the December date for that and we got a re-release of, a new hope that would be amazing because it's 40 years this year that actually is a great plan especially if it were like the theatrical cut like go back to the theatrical cut re-release it. i don't know i don't know if we're gonna get that but, i don't think so either but. uh still i mean i would love to take my kids to go see the a new hope in theaters. Yeah. oh yeah for sure I'd, I'd, I'd definitely make my kids go to that i mean i've already seen it in theaters i didn't see it in its first run because i was uh negative one yeah at that point <laughs> but uh yeah, I'd love to go see it in theaters as well. Yeah. Um, more on Star Wars news. Woody Harrelson will be in the Han Solo movie. Han Solo movie. It'll be his, uh, I believe the, he's being cast as Han Solo's mentor as a smuggler. Yeah, presumably. He mentions he's going to be sort of like a, a gray area mentor towards Han Solo. Probably a good role for Woody. I think so too. I think um, this is going to work out pretty well. I, I tend to think that, that the uh, well-known actors and things like that are are kind of out of place in the star wars movies but uh i don't know woody has a way of pulling things off that other people necessarily don't necessarily have the and, and it doesn't to pull off. necessarily bother me so much in the smaller roles like this like uh, kevin costner is um the dad in uh, man of steel i actually really liked him yeah so did i um the those are the type of, types of roles where i don't mind seeing the bigger name so much as long as they're not going to like pull, totally pull me out of the film um and I, woody's not a, an actor that'll do that so um i think he could fit really well for this yeah well and the pa kent character that costner played in the man of steel movie is kind of like how i picture costner would be anyway yeah <laughs> you um know? like he's just an older more grizzled version of the guy who built the baseball field in the, in the, in the cornfield. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would that actually been really rad after he gets done, you know, lecturing Clark about how he's got to hide his identity and stuff like that. And he's like, now nah, you want to go out here and play some baseball? Mickey Mantle should be by any time now. Yeah. 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 Or what, what was his name? No shoes. Shoes. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking, just, this is a complete segue and everything. Um, I listened to the Nerds podcast uh, from a week and a half ago, uh, where Mark Hamill was the guest. Yeah, fucking amazing podcast. I mean, it's Mark Hamill. What'd you expect? Uh, Mark Hamill has a Harrison Ford impression, which I did not know. That's awesome. And I'm not going to say anything more, but I'm I am going to say that that's probably something that people should listen to. Um, keep in mind that it was also recorded a few weeks before the death of Carrie Fisher, so that's why they don't talk about it. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> probably why Mark Hamill was actually doing 
a podcast, podcast at that point in time. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it was it was definitely worth a listen because God, his podcasts are always great anyway. But he he talked a lot about um, not only being Luke Skywalker and whatnot, but uh, the Flash because because Chris Hardwick brought up the Flash and stuff, and he talked about um, getting the call to come and do the new series, mm-hmm. and his first assumption was that since um, uh. Grant Gustin? Nope, the dad. Dad, uh, John was the ship? Yeah, John was the ship. So his his first uh, assumption was that because he was in prison that they were going to bring Mark Hamill in to be like a cellmate or or something like that in there and stuff. And and so then he talked a little bit more to his agent and his agent's like, no, they want you to be the trickster. And he was like, why, what? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So, yeah, that's really cool. Um, and speaking of Carrie Fisher, um, we have confirmed via StarWars.com that there are no plans to digitally recreate her for any of the forthcoming films. Um, that was a, one of the things that I think we talked about on the show previously that we definitely would put in the fear category as in I fear that they would do something like that because yeah. it seems really, really crass to me. And they've confirmed now that they're not going to. So uh, I, good I, job having taste, they, folks. They were pretty forthcoming about the fact that her... Um, uh, her shots for uh, episode eight were done. Yeah. And that they, they, they didn't even need her for ADR. Yeah. So, which, um, for those of you who may not know what ADR is, um, you occasionally have to go back and redub dialogue. Yeah. Depending on how, how the shot either came out or didn't work well or whatever. So, also, the audio conditions of the shot. You know, like yeah. you could, if you watch a lot of making of movies, you'll see that there's a lot of times where the movie sets, you know, super, super quiet compared to what's actually happening in the in the scene or the opposite's true too. So, yeah. Um, so they, they dub in dialogue sometimes. So um, that's good. I don't know. They weren't filming anything from episode nine concurrently with eight, were they? I don't know. Um, that that's actually still the big question mark is what are they going to do? Like presumably, uh, Leia's story would have a season, a sizable, decently par- sizable port. She was part. a big deal in episode eight, from what I understand. So she kind of would need to be, um, especially because now we've got this whole thing with Kylo Ren having just killed his father. Yeah. Um, and you know her, of course, being the mother. So it, uh, I think that that's kind of got to be a sizable portion, or that's got to take some stage on the next you know couple of movies. And I think that that was kind of be going to be how they say goodbye to Man, Leia I almost in general. I almost wouldn't be surprised if if she died in the movie anyway i now i kind of think that that's the only way she can like um i don't know i guess they could write her off like you know i mean they could but i mean it given not really tone, leading given the resistance anymore as the general because she's got to you know do the diplomatic stuff well given given the tone of uh episode seven and given the fact that disney plans on continuing to make these movies as we go on yeah uh i think seven eight nine are going to be kind of a change into the guard anyway i think so a little bit so like i think that this is um one of the things that i've been thinking about or kicking around is um presumably ever we get more jedi and i think that this is going to be the thing that uh convinces luke to come back and teach more jedi um because you know it's not all bad seeds yeah no i I totally so yeah I don't. I don't like to speculate about things I have no clue about. Cause, I mean, honestly, I mean it's all just fan theories at this point. Yeah, but uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, and last up, we have a really interesting <laughs> uh, uh, YouTube video, and this is actually a deleted scene from um, Star Wars uh, or the Episode Force Seven, Awakens. The Force Awakens. This and is a deleted scene is available on the 3D edition Blu-ray. 
Yeah. And this is actually a scene featuring Chewbacca, which uh, I think I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, if you're familiar with uh, episode four at all yeah. and, and Han Solo convincing uh, people to let the Wookiee yeah. win, yeah. this is why. Yeah. This is why I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit more of a hint than Eddie did, but the the, the I mean the, when you when you read it in the show notes you'll probably get it immediately. But watch yeah. the video if yeah. you've already if got you the didn't Blu-ray, maybe it. you've already seen it. But yeah. whatever, it's it's it's, it's probably amazing. Just I knew about this actually before the Blu-ray uh, released, and and really is this is the reason why I wanted to buy it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good scene. All right, we'll be right back with the rest of the show after one more beer. All right, so let's round out the show. We've got a couple of little pieces of news here to talk about. Uh, number one, Tom Hardy confirms that a Fury Road follow-up is still in the works. Yeah, nothing really to talk about on that. It's just that uh, Fury Road hit um, with such a vengeance, and then nobody's been talking about anything since then. But um, Tom Hardy, definitely, he said, yes, we're, we're still doing stuff. Which is super cool because Fury Road is a, a super solid movie. So yeah, um, yeah, you should check that out if, if nothing else. Like th- th- that's I think a really interesting movie, especially from a cinematic point of view. Um, like if you if you like the craft of movie making, um, there's a lot of interesting things about Fury Road that you can take out of it. I never looked at water like it was a bad thing until I watched Fury Road. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, onto the comic section before we talk about some books proper we've got a link to superman's new suit um there's a picture here that i posted for you and matt's got some follow-up about uh some um details on the suit itself um interestingly enough i think the details pretty much convey exactly what we were thinking or what i was thinking when i saw it which is he's going a little old school there yeah you still got the newfangled belt still does have the newfangled belt no, no underwear no, on the outside no underwear on the outside yeah um really the biggest change that's going on right now is i think the s is a little different like it's more of an old school shaped superman s on the chest it is it's um, not quite 40s because it's a little fatter of an s than that but and yeah. then uh his boots are gonna be red again because i and i didn't even know it until i read this article and i've so i've read a shit ton of superman comic books especially other like i read all of the rebirth stuff right yeah didn't never notice that his boots were blue yeah, I didn't notice that quite often either. <laughs> so red boots is a thing. The other thing that I, I want to point out here too is the color, um, the color on the suit. I think is a little bit of a brighter blue. Yeah. Um, which is kind of cool because you know that's Superman. Superman should be a little bit brighter. Yeah. If you're listening, Zack Snyder. <laughs> he's not. But he's you not. Know, and if, if he, he was, was smart, he would. If he was, he stopped listening. You know, I don't know the the forty seventh time we, time we shit on <laughs> the color saturation in Man of Steel. <laughs> Um, I think we lost him and Megan Fox at about the same time. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, Dark Knight 3. So let's talk about a book we read this week. Um, the Dark Knight 3. Um, I can't remember what the title of this actual book is. Dark Knight. The Master Race. The Master Race, yeah. yeah. This Knight- was issue 7? Something like I that, think. yeah. Yeah. So I think by the end of issue 6, um, we have a fairly big piece, which is that Batman's presumably dead. Mm, yeah. yeah. Soups kind of has to... Uh, grab him and 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 get him out of there because he kind of sacrificed himself to to help defeat the uh kryptonians that have come out of the bottle city of kandor and decided to wreak havoc on earth yeah Um, i guess i guess at the the end of this they're gonna be like well i guess we should have just let brainiac keep that one yeah (laughs) we have uh we have a little bit of exposition with the villain too um in this in this particular book uh, really, there's one key reason why I wanted to talk about this on the show. Number one is because we've kind of been talking about the rest of the the series, but it's a Frank Miller book, so it's so sporadic when we get yeah. a new issue. That... It comes out when it comes out. Yeah. Um, Somewhat like this podcast. Plus, this podcast actually. plus I kind of thought that originally it was going to be a six-issue series, but now we're on issue seven. Yeah. 
I thought so. so too. And you know, I'm not sure. Maybe it was an eight issue series because it does seem like we we're coming to the end, or we could potentially it, be it coming like to the end of the run. Getting there. Um, yeah. But uh, man, this book did something that I didn't think was actually going to happen, and and that is it. It took a character said like with with the older um, aged Bruce Wayne, um, and put us in a position where we could potentially have future Dark Knight stories again. Yeah. Um, and we're going to spoil it, so just hang don't in say there we for a second. You, yeah, but spoilers coming forth. Uh, basically, toward the end of the book, we see uh, Superman taking a, a Bruce Wayne corpse and plunging him right into a fucking Lazarus pit. Yep. Which I was really excited for because I was like, man, I number one, I haven't read um, a comic book that was uh, pertaining to uh, Ra's al Ghul in a long time. No, me either. Um, although he did make an appearance in Titans, or Teen Titans. Yep. Uh, last month or this month? I don't remember. Maybe the most recent issue, I think. Yeah, the most recent one. Uh, so you're caught up on that too? I think. Yeah, I think I am. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is also really good. I, I'm enjoying Teen Titans. Yeah, me too. Um, but uh, yeah, potentially the series was kind of going to be it with this one, <laughs> and now it might not be. Yeah, kind of interesting. Um, so Lazarus Pitt, Bruce Wayne. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about this because that you generally don't come back without a cost, and usually that's a cost like uh, Ra's al Ghul is, you know, um, in various depictions going more and more insane um, each time they have to use the Lazarus Pit on him. Um, and you know, we've seen the Lazarus Pit on TV in in the uh, Flero universe when we we brought uh, uh, Sarah back, and obviously that didn't work out great right away at thea as well uh I, th- I don't think thea was you know quite dead he wasn't dead dead but you know obviously she she got the whole bloodlust thing and went a little nuts about it and so i'm interested to see how they're going to do this with uh bruce wayne in the lazarus pit uh, in the dark knight um and you know it's it's frank miller so i don't think that they're going to just leave that alone like he, he, that's going to be that's got to be a plot point uh, no it, it depends because uh there's been depictions of it well i don't know i don't know i can't i can't say that um I can say that I want to. I want to say that Bruce Wayne has kind of out and out refused to ever use the Lazarus Pit. I think you're probably right, and so that'll be. I don't know. Like he's gonna come back and be pissed off. Like, why did you do that? You know. Yeah, and I kind of think I feel like this Bruce Wayne was kind of ready to be done. It, it's weird because you know I felt like that at the end of the the first the Dark Knight uh, Returns books, um, and then of course we got two other series in the Dark Knight universe. Um, you know, this one being the, the most recent. What I'm interested, I guess, here is uh, he, how do you get a harder edge Batman? <laughs> I mean, he's he's almost got to be a little unhinged to make it interesting because yeah. you, you can't really get, you know, more hard ass than than this, especially this Batman is. So um, but, yeah, I think there's going to be some fallout. I think Bruce is definitely going to be pissed off about this. You know, like you saved my life, you big, giant blue asshole. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm really excited to see what the the ramifications of that particular um, aspect of it are. Yeah. Um. Overall, I'm going to say that I'm I'm still enjoying Dark Knight Three quite a bit, a I, lot more than I like Dark Knight Strikes Again. Uh. Also, same. Definitely a lot more than Strikes Again. Dark Knight Returns was classic, and I don't know that there's many I mean, things that will it, top it. It certainly eclipses both of these series for me, like no question. Yeah. Um. But but this is still an enjoyable read. So. Uh. This had a backup story too about uh, Laura. Yeah. And it's it's a decent backup story. I'm not going to go into... No. 
This wasn't Laura. This backup story was Hal Jordan. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Laura was actually featured in this book. Uh, it was, this is, uh, she she kidnapped her little brother, Clark and, and Wonder Woman's kid. Yeah. So that was the other major plot point for this one, and not, a, not instead of a backup. But uh, yeah, the, the Green Lantern backup was pretty interesting, to say yeah. the least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. I mean, like I said, just you should check this book out. It, it's still a good read. So yeah. um, maybe not Dark Knight Returns good, but, um, you know, that that's a tough nut to crack. I've I've read all the backups in in the Dark Knight uh, three uh, books, and they've they've been decent. Uh, I don't. It, are you reading uh, All Star Batman? No, I, well, not recently. I've read the first few issues. I think of All Star, but I haven't read it. I'm not, I don't think I think that's probably one of the few Bat books that I'm not caught up on. We um we started a new story arc with the most recent issue. It's a it's a Mister Freeze story arc, and I'm not sure if it's going to be an overall arc at this point or if it was a one-off but it was a really good mr freeze story okay um so i won't i won't necessarily spoil it um but the backups in all-star batman are super good as well yeah i i we did talk about that on the show the backups in all-star are definitely very very good yeah um one thing too uh that we should note about the rebirth books is that the monthly rebirth books are now going to be 3.99 instead of 2.99 mm-hmm the bi-weeklies are going to stay two ninety nine. So, like uh, the ones that I'm I'm um, purchasing regularly, Hal Jordan um, and the Green Lantern Corps and the Flash, those are both bi-weekly. So they're going to stay at two ninety nine. The three ninety nine books, though, are going to do something um, that Marvel just stopped doing, and that is the uh, three ninety nine books are going to come with a free digital copy. Nice. Uh, when you buy the uh, the physical book. So it's about time. I don't know if they're going to do it with the two nine nine ones yet, but uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. All Star Batman still five bucks though. That one's been five bucks since the um, onset. Got a lot of flack about it at first because that was kind of their big tagline behind Rebirth was all the books were going to be three bucks. Yeah, and that one came out at five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oops. Um, eh, it is what it is. Yeah. I don't know. Rebirth is still pretty much killing it. Um, or at least most of the titles. I think it, we, we've decided to stick with most of the titles yeah. and the ones that I haven't really stuck with are mostly um, not because I don't want to, but because I forget about them because there's so many freaking books to read. Batwoman's getting uh, her own title. I'm looking super forward to that. Actually, I keep seeing it because they've got it in the in the back in the back of the um, a lot of the DC books right now. Um and so today, like, I went looking for it, and I was like, oh, yeah, it doesn't come out until February. I was yeah. really disappointed, actually, because Bat- Batwoman actually is super good. And, I, and, I didn't uh, care as much for the Batwoman detective. run from New 52, but uh, with what they've done with Detective and stuff, I'm, I'm definitely going to read it. Yeah, it looks really good. Um, the other book we read this week and that we're going to talk about is Inhumans versus X-Men. Um, I read issues one and two, actually about an hour before the show started. And so I'm fairly well caught up on that one, and I enjoyed it. Good, good stories, and I like that the X Men are finally getting some more attention. So yeah, um, so we talked a little bit last week, and Eddie hadn't read number one yet. He uh, he did mention though that issue number zero of the series didn't really grab him, and I kind of prompted him and poked him and prodded him and said you should read Just number read one. It, yeah, um, and I gave him a little bit of a spoiler, which was Beast uh, revealing some some facts about the Terrigen cloud and whatnot, and. Yeah. Uh, it was it was actually kind of interesting because he didn't read them until he got here. Yep. And uh I got to see him react to some of the the, the things that <laughs> happened. Uh and I could tell as soon as I saw him him read it that there was definitely um more interest there than than there was for the zero issue. So that's that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, and I, after I read book 1, I blew through issue 2 
uh, really fast. So yeah. um, <coughs> issue two was definitely a shorter book too. To be fair, <laughs> yeah. issue number one was is a is a I, I don't think it's double size, but it is definitely a, a larger than normal size comic yeah. book. Um, lots of interesting stuff going on. Number one, um, there's uh, Beast. Beast actually tells him, you know how we we just found out that the Terrigen Mists are really bad and they're killing mutants. Um, well, it gets worse than that because not only does the remaining Terrigen cloud that's floating around the Earth that's gigantic, um, is that not only is that bad, but it's eventually going to dissipate and uh, dissipate in a bad way. It's going to spread out and cover the Earth, and this planet essentially won't be habitable for mutants. Um, and so Logan actually it was the one that I probably one of the reactions you saw was when Logan's like, well, yeah, um, what's the worst that happens for them if we take out this cloud? They just don't get to have more superpowers and we all still get to live versus us all dying so that they can get new, you know, people with superpowers, um, which is the exact position that I took when we talked about this um, yeah. in issue zero, I think so. Yeah. And I, I knew that. Saturday yeah. read it when you were talking about it so Wait, major uh, well done self-control there yeah uh not spoiling it then um i like i like logan's role in in this whole thing especially as pertains to storm because storm is she's definitely convinced that she doesn't want her people to die yeah but she also doesn't want to take them to war and logan's just kind of like well the war is here yeah like there, there's not really much you can do about it at this point like he and he and magneto don't agree on a lot of things but in, in this particular thing they're just like yeah let's see where there's a choice here yeah so um and then i can't remember if it's issue one or issue two um but throughout the course of the thing they basically decide um much to beast chagrin that they need to uh uh defeat the inhumans and and take out the terrigen cloud all of this is in one because the actual assault on uh new adelaide is basically issue two okay so oh. yeah that, that that's what i was going to talk about next then um it was actually really cool watching just how much the x-men kind of own the inhumans like very quickly they had a plan yeah they had a plan they executed it fairly flawlessly the inhumans right now kind of made sure beast didn't tip them off to the plan so yeah that was kind of a dick move but i i, I get where she's coming from and young beast seemed okay with it yeah, Young Beast was like, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> this is awkward. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we've mentioned that either, but um, from the events of um, all new X-Men, we now have a second team of young X-Men, which is uh, um, Bobby, uh, uh, Jean Grey, um, Beast, Scott. Uh, Hank, and, and Scott. Warren. Scott Warren. Yeah. Is Warren actually part of the team or is he off fucking around like he was in all, all new? Uh, Warren... I don't know if he's involved in this. I didn't see him in I, this. I don't remember it, but, uh, but... The only one I really remember seeing in this uh, particular one was um, uh, Jean Grey and, and, and Beast, because they, they both play a little bit more of a role. Um, yeah, and there's the there's the big um, kind of... I don't want to call it a side story, but there's definitely something going on um, with the Phantom X character. And then... Because yeah. you've got the Cuckoos and, and Jean trying to keep uh, Karnak at bay mentally yeah. and then you've got the the stepford cuckoos uh feeding phantom x information as well <laughs> that they don't find out about until later so yeah um that's going to be interesting development too because i kind of want to see where that's where that's going his character is really interesting to me um i think is he a claremont thing i don't remember um i want to say no he, came, he kind of came about during during that that same time period it may have been during claremont's most recent run on the x-men uncanny book um it may have been either immediately before or immediately after i don't remember but he's weird his character is really weird he's got a uh, ship 
that he he flies around in, but his ship is actually like kind of his mutant power because it's part of him. Okay, like it's almost like yeah, there there there's a very that's kind of a stretch for what a mutant power is, but I, I mean whatever. Yeah, um, you'd have to actually go back and read through some of his initial uh, story arcs for it to make sense. I can't really explain it on a podcast that well. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, but so yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm enjoying this book. I, I don't, I can't think of anything I really need to say about it. Um, it, it's good. It's not great to me. I'm, uh, I'm less excited about the actual book itself and I'm more excited about where it leads. Same. Like the, the thing that I like about this book and the real, real reason I'm reading it is because I think at the end of the, the light at the end of the tunnel here is the X-Men are going to get some more prominence again. Well, the writing's on the wall as to what's going to happen because we're getting ready in March, we're getting ready for X-Men Gold, X-Men Blue, yeah, uh, Generation X. Cable's getting his own book again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another Wolverine book that's going to be out. Uh, there's six books, I think. Six or seven books that are going to be out that are all X-Men related. We know they're not going to take place off-planet. Yeah, they're definitely going to make it through. So, <laughs> um, t- sort of does give away the plot a little. Yeah, but I'm still excited. Um, and we talked earlier about how X Men Gold is going to be penned by Guggenheim, and that's actually it was it was shocking to me when I fin- when I found out, but I still have every intention of actually picking that book up. Yeah, I you know I don't know. I remain cautiously optimistic. That'll be one probably I read with a little bit more. Um, I don't know. At this point, I'll probably have to. I don't know. I guess I want to try to shut my brain off on that and just let it be what it is, um, rather than reading it with like this preconceived notion that it's going to suck because Guggenheim wrote it. Here's the thing. I kind of have this feeling that you're either. I don't know that there's a lot of writers that are really well known for writing uh, really good books across multiple platforms. Marv Wolfman, I think, being one of the major exceptions to that because he's written a lot of good stuff on both yeah. sides. Um, but I also kind of like I don't see Jeff Johns ever like I mean, never. Number one, this is probably never going to happen anyway. But like I didn't, I wouldn't see him having the same kind of of success going over and trying to write X Men as he did, um, having like he's kind of quintessentially DC. Yeah, Um, and I kind of wonder if Guggenheim maybe is kind of that same way where like he just doesn't get the DC books as much, and which is a shame because he's been involved in a lot of DC projects. But I'm kind of hoping that he writes X Men and just fucking kills it. Like I think that would be awesome. You know. Yeah, because I don't want to hate the guy. <laughs> it would it would be perfect actually if it instead of just well and you know season five is going so f- so far pretty well with Arrow so well um and I think he's largely responsible for having for like comic book stuff having as much exposure as it does in mainstream media right now because he's been involved in a lot of those projects yeah. and and I'm not going to give him all the credit for it for sure but I mean he's been involved in some big projects but he's also been involved in the Green failure Lighter. of some big projects so um I don't know. I, I want, you know, I kind of, my basic, you know, me wants everybody to succeed, and he's not really an exception to that. I just want him to succeed without failing at uh, uh, making decent books for a long time, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it would be great, actually, if he goes on and, and does a super successful run on X-Men, because who doesn't win when there's good X-Men comics? No, totally. Um, I think next time we sit down and talk about comics, I think... Uh... Suicide uh, Squad versus Justice League is going to be mostly wrapped up, so I think I'm going to try and make Eddie read those in the next week. Yeah. 
which is going to be tough because I'm really, I really want to go read some, um, and maybe I'll do all of it, but I, w- I want to read Old Man Logan and uh, some, some uh, All New Wolverine. Is that what it is? All New Wolverine? All New Wolverine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that That's, of course, X-23, uh, Laura Kinney's Wolverine. Um, that looks exciting. Honestly. Uh, especially with the movie coming out, I, I kind of want to get a little bit caught up, or a little bit of backstory under that. The um, So I'm going to make it easy for you for the Justice League Suicide Squad stuff. Mm-hmm. Suicide Squad number eight is important because it leads in to the whole thing. Yeah. But you can actually just read the standalone Suicide Squad versus Justice League books um, beyond that so far because the Justice League and the Suicide Squad um, standalone books or like yeah uh, titles, they have had stories that tie into the story um, but are not necessary to the overall arc. Okay. So cool. Although but, they're good and they don't, they're actually, they're written to, to be read really quickly too. So, uh, I don't, I don't think you'd have a problem either way. I mean, the DC books, I think read a lot quicker than a lot of the Marvel books anyway, but they, yeah, I think that's fairly true. All-Star Batman being the exception. Cause it's a Snyder book. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's also true. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to close out the show with some wrestling news. Um, well, wrestling news, and, and one of the things that's been in the show notes for a long, long time, we're going to talk about the Montreal Screwjob. Yes. Or the uh, Survivor Series Screwjob, depending on which circles you roll in. Yeah, we skipped it. Um, this is, this would have been a good one, I think, for Bailey to have been here for, but we've been putting it off for so long at this point that yeah, we, we kind of had to get to it talk done. about it. Yeah, Because there's other matches, I think, that are going to be a lot of fun to talk about in the future, but I don't I don't think it would have been feasible to do that with the, uh, the Screwjob looming over us. Yeah. Um, so before we get to that, though, let's talk a couple pieces of news. Um, first one, Jimmy Superfly Snuka dies at age 73. Yep. Um, and I'll let Matt explain that one because he already explained it to me once. Might as well do it again. So yeah, Jimmy Snuka, um, Superfly kind of innovated, uh, top rope moves. I mean, there was guys coming off the top rope before, but he he really kind of made it a, a thing. Like that was his his signature. He had a, a splash off the top rope and whatnot. Um, very influential on on you know kind of making that a regular thing. Um, as well as the fact that um, he influenced one of the stars that everybody knows because he's on the product still today, and that's McFoley. Yep. Um, McFoley is a teenager um, hitchhiked from Long Island to. Uh, Madison Square Garden and watched Jimmy Superfly Snuka come off the top of a 12-foot cage on top of Don Morocco um, in what is now a, a super famous match. So, kind of an important guy in terms of wrestling. Um, also probably a murderer, but uh, <laughs> I mean... Buried the lead on that one a little. We're not going to focus so much on that. There is speculation um, that he he killed his, his traveling girlfriend like some 15 years ago. Uh, hmm. The judge, though, has recently dismissed the case um, based on the fact that uh, Jimmy is not or was not mentally competent to stand trial. On top of the fact that he had stomach cancer that was so aggressive that um, it wasn't speculated that he was going to live very long. Well, and I it guess... turns out they were right. Yeah. If you, got, if you had the over under on that one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's the thing. You never not you never don't want to see justice served if, if it's warranted. Yeah. Um, the other thing is though, is you kind of, as a judge are put in a position, you're like, okay, we could do this and we could rake this guy over the coals and there's probably enough evidence to convict. Um, but if he's going to die in a month, 
That's a huge waste of resource. Do do we want to spend the taxpayer dollars on it? Um, and he's gonna die. Yeah. I mean, so uh there was a lot of things that he did that were important for the business of professional wrestling, so it kinda um I don't want to speculate too much on whether or not he did or didn't do it, uh, because at this point it, it's it's no longer relevant, at least to the world at large. Um, there's going to be some speculation continuing to fly around. There's going to be some sites that are that are still um, really focused on that particular aspect of it. We're just not going to be one of them. You know, what would be interesting is I think you could probably tell. Um, I think it'd be probably saying something. What was the WWE's reaction to this? Actually, this is what surprised me. And um, they kind of have been a lot more forthcoming about uh, Jimmy Snuka stuff. Oh, Uh, really? So not only did they remove him from the Hall of Fame page after he um, was kind of brought back in on the the charges of of killing his girlfriend and whatnot, but he was also involved in a class action lawsuit that's still continuing right now about... um, the WWE not not warning uh, talent of the dangers of concussions to the to the fullest that they could. Okay. Um, so we're talking about a company that that legitimately um, kept the tag team belts on on one of their tag teams long enough to beat an, a record of a tag team that was also involved in the same lawsuit. Yeah. So I mean, they're essentially they've erased demolition from the record books because they're involved in this lawsuit. But as soon as he died. Um, I actually heard it from the WWE before I heard it anywhere else. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So they recognized him as a Hall of Famer. They announced his death. And then just recently on the WWE Network, in fact, two days ago, they released a, a Jimmy Snuka collection on the network. So, okay. So if nothing else, they feel like they're in the clear because there's never any conviction or anything like well, that. Well, they've taken the high road on it, I think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy did do a lot for the business, and a lot of that was with them. So... Uh, yeah, I just feel like if 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 they thought that there was a really good likelihood that it would come out that he he totally killed that girl, um, he, they would distance themselves from it. Like, you know, much like they've done with Chris Benoit. Like, obviously Benoit, there's no question. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah. and they've they've basically collectively erased Benoit in a lot of ways from from the product. So it's only been since the WWE Network that they've even um really acknowledged that Benoit exists. Um, and I don't think we've talked about this before, but um, following the Benoit incident, when they released DVDs and things like that, they would remove those matches entirely from the DVDs. No, we so, we, we have talked about that on the show before. The um, fact that they're actually put into the pay per views on um, on the network is is pretty incredible, given that they were that willing to just erase him from history. Yeah. Um. It it's hard on the other guys though, like Jericho. Uh, his second book that he wrote, he talked a lot about. Um a match that he had and this particular date and it was blah, blah, blah. But he said, but technically that match doesn't exist and it'll never be seen again. Yeah. And he says that about six times, about six different matches, you know, throughout wow. the course of the book. And they were all Benoit matches. Um, so guys that, that came up through the ranks together, um, like those two did, it, it it's hard on, on Jericho, especially because he's like, that was such an important part of his career that he, wasn't really able to talk about until you know more recently yeah i mean i don't know that's just shitty all the way around yeah 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 all right so on to i guess slightly brighter news um <laughs> we're going to talk about a very famous match in, in wrestling history in fact if you got one more piece 
Okay. You skipped it. Oh, fuck. What am I doing? Uh, no. On to just definitely completely brighter news. Yeah, this, uh, is, this is definitely brighter news. Yeah, this um, is solid news. Um, Kurt, Kurt Engel is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yep. Uh, to join, you know, other WWE wrestling greats like uh, Donald Trump. And Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Jesus. Uh, um, sorry. Yeah, that no. was low-hanging fruit. Yes. Yeah. Same. <laughs> um. No, this is actually good news. Uh, Kurt is. Angle is is a was a solid addition to the brand. Um, I and he started coming into the business. I think when I started watching wrestling, or you know, around probably about the mid time that I was watching wrestling back in like two thousand two thousand one ish. Super accomplished collegiate wrestler. Um, yeah, he was actually the first ever to win a, a gold medal for the United States um, at the Olympics in his particular weight class. Yeah, so um, he was a big deal kind of before, and I think what really sets him apart from a lot of guys is that he adapted to the business of professional wrestling faster than a lot of people do. Yeah. Like way faster. He did. He did. He was actually a really good guy. Um, and he was fun to watch too. Um, not immediately. Like when he first came on the scene, I was, I didn't care about him much at all. Um, but it, that, that changed fairly quickly. Um, and then by the time I left, I, you know, I actually enjoyed angle matches. So, uh, him being inducted into the hall of fame is a good thing, uh, for two reasons. Number one, he deserves it. Yeah. He's in about every other wrestling hall of fame there is already yeah um number two it means he's back in the fold with the wwe and there's possibility that we could see him used as as a as a performer somewhere down the line which is cool yeah um he can still go oh i'm sure and and so that's kind of the thing that that obviously you don't want to use him on the road every week and and have him away from his family 200 days a year and whatnot and the WWE is concerned because he's had problems with substance abuse in the past um, and also getting injured and then coming back from injury much too early. Things being what they are with the medical uh, side of, of things, they're not going to let him come back too early if, if he gets hurt Yeah, these days. But um, the substance abuse thing, is it was a big deal. Um, I think WWE probably paid for his rehab. But he's been uh, clean and sober for a while now, like years couple years at this point cool so um god damn it he could bolster so many spots yeah in the roster right now so just there's so many different ways you could use him if you wanted to yeah if they can get him back that would be a pretty awesome move well he wants to that's his thing is he wants to like he wants to retire from professional wrestling as a wwe superstar so nice I'm, i'm sure there's for him to be um willing to come in and 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 be inducted into the hall of fame there's got to be some kind of deal in the back for him to, to do something yeah i think so like uh, yeah, i don't think they just do this for no good reason like it's either somebody that's massive for the business which i don't think necessarily think angle was he was a he was a pretty big guy you know for his heyday but he he's not got nearly the longevity that a lot of other um guys do uh um, is he hulk hogan no no is he the rock probably not but i don't know that the rock had some of the matches that the rock had without Kurt Angle. That's true. So, um the, even even in the early days like when Kurt Angle was first coming in, he had some pretty big ba- uh, badass matches with The Rock, so. Yep. Um anyway, that's cool. Yeah. So, last piece of news, uh not news, this is actually a very old match. This is a 1997 match at uh, Survivor Series SummerSlam. Survivor Series. Survivor Series. Uh Survivor Series 97. This is Brett the Hitman Hart versus Sean the Heartbreak Kid Michaels. Um 
and it's probably one of the most famous matches and like i said before you probably heard of it because um in most circles you would hear it call e- either the montreal screw job or the survivor series screw job and it's notable for a lot of reasons uh number one and primarily most so um because uh and actually radio lab which is a really awesome podcast does a much better job of telling the story and relating it to you if you have no idea about wrestling. Um, but as we all know, wrestling is uh, fake. And when I say fake, I mean it's not really fake. It's a work. Um, the outcomes are predetermined. We know yeah. that before the match even starts that we know who's going to win. I mean, we don't necessarily know who's going to win, but they know who's going to win. They know who's going to win. Um, the matches are not... Uh, and the other interesting thing, though, that you might be getting from this is like you might think that the matches are completely choreographed out, which is not really true. Um, the matches are, you know, basically called, um, the matches can be, um, they're generally not as choreographed as skeptics would no. want to believe. Um, I think in a lot of cases you're going to have, uh, going into the match, you're going to know, here's a couple of big spots. We there's kind do. of a beginning, middle and end yeah. uh, discussion with, uh, with, with a few high spots kind of thrown in there and then the rest of it, they kind of have to just do, which yeah. is, that's, they're in there working, you know, um, yeah, this match is interesting for a lot of different reasons. This is, um, like Eddie mentioned before, Radiolab uh, did an entire podcast on it, which I'd never even really listened to a lot of Radiolab stuff, but I listened to this one, and, and they actually did a really good job catching it from all different sides um, when presenting it. Here's the thing. It's a big deal that Radiolab did a podcast on this because it's not a wrestling podcast. No. In any way, shape, or form. Radiolab is actually a really uh, Radiolab is actually a great podcast, one of my favorites, and they do um, stories on all kinds of different things. So when I heard they were doing, like when I started, when I opened the 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 thing and I started listening, I was like, they're doing a podcast on wrestling. Well, this is going to be interesting. And as it turns out, it is. It's interesting for a lot of reasons. But one of the things you have to understand is that um, this whole uh, idea that wrestling is a work, you know, outcomes are predetermined. Everybody knows kind of what's going to happen behind the scenes. In 1997, that wasn't really the case. Um, We're kind of getting into this area where we had this blending of um, sort of the reality from the the, uh, narrative, the story part of wrestling. And so that's one of the things that bleeds over very heavily here. Uh, um, in, in this particular match, um, we've got the the story going into this match. You know, there's this rivalry set up between uh, 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 Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, and you know, you got the, the the typical thing going into there. But there's also the background story here too, which is uh, at this point, Bret Hart's been signed to the WCW, and he's leaving in like a week, and he currently has the uh, World Championship belt. Uh, it's it's very typical in situations like this where you have a guy uh, who's on top uh, who gives notice that he's going to go and, and work for the competition, so to speak. And, and this goes all the way back to the territory days. Yeah. Kind of the mentality hasn't really changed. It's different now, um, you know, because this is 20 years ago, even that this is happening. But um, wrestling used to be split into territories that were all across the country. Uh, you know, there could be six, seven territories operating um, on the East Coast and a few territories on the West Coast and some in the Midwest, uh, things like that. And there was all kind of – everything was almost handshake agreements back then. Yeah. And it was it was very common uh, for uh, when somebody would, would put in notice that he was leaving and, and going to a different territory that if they were the champion that they would um, have a match and, and drop the belt to the number one contender – uh, and lose on their way out. 
Yeah. Um, number one, it uh, gave the territory that uh, was losing a superstar um, a good opportunity to to boost somebody else up into that spot. Uh, number two, and this is kind of the shittier aspect of it, it, I mean, when your top guy loses and then goes to another territory, he goes into the new territory with a little bit less fire. Yeah. Um, but that's just the nature of the business. That's the way it's always worked. Uh, yeah. So you have to understand too, wrestling being a work, um, they can't just be like, Oh, well, he quit. He's going to go work over there now. Uh, so you get the belt dude. Um, right. so they have to have a way to continue the storyline, the narrative, uh, and the way that they do that typically is to turn up the belt. So, uh, another couple of things that we need to set the stage on. Uh, this is in Montreal, Canada. Um, Bret Hart, Canadian, from Calgary, Alberta. Uh, from Calgary. Um, so Western Canada as opposed to Eastern Canada, but still yeah, Canada. He's been wrestling through Canada and before joining the WWE. Um, and that's, you know, really where he got his come up. He's got huge following fans in, in Canada. Um, and so now we're in Montreal and uh, we're going into this and he's leaving the company and they want him to lose. And Brett's, Brett's position is like, uh, I don't want to lose this match. We're, we're, you know, I'm going home. It's uh, a pay-per-view. It's in Canada. Yeah. It, it's a big match. I don't want to lose this match. Um, it, it's, you know, like it's a point of pride a little bit that he's, yeah. he's not, he, he doesn't want to lose the match. Um, so that's, that's a big part of it. Uh, number two, going into this, Shawn Michaels is healing it up about as hard as you can heal it up. Um, he comes out, he's, he's flossing his ass with the Canadian flag. He, uh, spitting on fans, spitting on it. He's picking his nose with the flag. He throws the flag on the ground and he humps the flag, you know, um, just lots of, you know, he, he's being as absolutely as heel as you can be. Um, and, uh, the fans are hating him for it. Um, which, you know, presume, you know, he's doing a good job being a heel basically. Um, so there's that aspect of things too going into this, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the match itself goes down and it's a solid match. I mean, everything's going basically by the, by the books. It took about 10 minutes for the match to actually get going because, uh, there was fighting. Yeah. I mean, they, they started actually the match, not, not really the match, but they started actually with brawling, brawling on the outside outside of the ring and moving around to the crowd and stuff like that. There's another aspect too that we're leaving out. And that is that there was legitimate backstage heat between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. They did not like one another. No. Good point. Um, the the brawling uh things like that there was a couple things uh, and i mentioned this when we because we just watched it two hours ago before we sat down and uh there was a couple things that they that that i mentioned to eddie that are pretty uncommon one is that uh jr jim ross makes a comment on commentary say. that's um says something about this is going to be a stiff match and that's kind of an insider term and, and wwe WWF at that point in time was pretty careful about not using insider terms on on air. Yeah, they kind of broke the kayfabe there for a second. Um, uh, and you know, I I, I you know because Matt's much more knowledgeable about this, but I kind of asked you know, so that means basically that these punches aren't going to be as fake as they usually are, right? And he's right. yeah, basically yeah. that's the case. So um, these, these guys actually wouldn't interpret mind that if as, a, as a, hurt a little bit. Yeah, the- and I guess you could you could interpret it as a fan not in the know of of how things are, and you could say, oh, this you know they're 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 out for blood or whatever um and that's fine but yeah it's it's generally not something that the wwf did at that point in time yeah so so that's another interesting part of this is um we got a lot of things going on really in that aspect which is that uh 
you know, reality has its own concerns and the storyline is really what happens in wrestling and it doesn't reality doesn't factor into that whole lot until this match and then all of a sudden it does. Yeah. Um so the match starts going down. Um yeah, I mean before we get into the match, I guess I get there's a couple things um I, I wanna editorialize or maybe um just throw some opinion in there. It's your show. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned Brett didn't want to lose in Canada, which is absolutely correct. However, um, from the standpoint of somebody who's familiar with how the business works and how it has worked for decades, Brett was in the wrong. Yeah. At that particular That point. seems pretty clear to me too. Like, um, yeah, I get, you don't want to lose in Canada, but the thing is, uh, you're leaving the team. You, you know how things are going. You know, you're, you, you know, basically that that's the accepted norm essentially. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, like it, a regular job, they want you to put on two weeks notice uh, and, and, you know, not steal a whole bunch of shit on your way out the door. And that's kind of the same thing here. Um, they want you to put in two week notice and so on and so forth. And in this case, it means, you know, turning over the belt at the same time. Yeah. You pass in your key card, you turn over your belt, you know, whatever. And and Vince basically um, Vince had signed Brett to essentially a 10 year contract just a just a couple of years before this too so not only was he he kind of putting in notice saying that he was going to go work for somewhere else he he basically put vince in a position where vince didn't have much choice but to let him out of his contract vince was suffering financially at that point anyway mm-hmm. so he couldn't have he wouldn't really have been able to afford that contract for its entirety uh so it was both parties best interest but at the same time vince could have put the screws to him and said no you have to work for me yeah or so. you know face face the 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 um breaking contract and all that yeah. that entails. So that stuff didn't happen. So um let's now we can kind of get into it. I just wanted to set the the tone a little bit more and and kind of let people know where I'm sitting on the issue as we get into the match. Yeah. Um all right, so we get into the match and you know we we do we have a, we have a brawl on the outside of the ring and for that goes on for a good 10 minutes before the actual match gets started. For a while. Yeah, I was surprised. I I haven't watched the match in a long time and I I I was Kind of looking at my watch, going, man, when when are they actually gonna this, yeah. do this thing? So, um, overall, the match was really good. I mean, they, they did a good job, I think, of playing up that hate. Like, the, there was supposed to be a lot of heat between these two guys and the thing, and they did a good job playing that up. Um, we have a lot of moments uh, where Shawn Michaels just, you know, continues to be a heel. He he's basically taking Bret Hart out on the outside of the ring on display, punching him right in in the face because uh, Bret Bret's the the both the the babyface. And the uh, um, you know, fan favorite in Calgary, uh, be, being a Canadian himself, he's the favorite there. Um, so you know, Sean's doing a good job healing it up and 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 uh, really Here, turning the, the screws to him. Sean wasn't necessarily a heel when this went down. Well, he was that match for he sure. He was he was uh, already partnered up with Triple H in China as DX, and DX was kind of on the rise in terms of being an anti-authority kind of figure. Um, so they were more baby faces going into the match than, than Brett was. Cause Brett had come through, um, this is following WrestleMania 13. Um, when he, he had turned heel stone cold had, had turned face and, and Brett turned heel and stuff. Um, Brett was kind of playing a snivelly whiny, uh, mm. heel for, for the most part, uh, going into this, but because it was in Canada, people didn't care. Yeah. So that's why that's why Sean was doing what he was doing. <laughs> Cuz if, if they were going to view Brett as a babyface, they needed to have 
him be uh somebody who who was viewed as an adversary and that's why he was doing the the heel things that he was doing with the flag and all that kind of stuff that's funny so just just to kind of set the stage there that was that was a a, a choice based on circumstances more than it was uh, the original intent behind the match all right um and yeah i don't know there's not a lot of specifics to the match that i really remember um there are a couple of you know stiff looking punches in there but nothing outside of the norm particularly um and then yeah. we get to the 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 sort of penultimate the crowning moment which is um sean michaels locks in the sharpshooter which and is bret hart's move bret hart's signature move um that's one of the things that makes him the hitman he he goes for the sharpshooter gets you to submit more more than uh uh tap out or you know gets you to tap out rather than um get the pin and uh sean michaels locks it in and there's no submission he definitely does not tap and then you see Earl Hubner calling for the bell. That's senior referee. Yeah, Earl Hubner, senior referee at the time, uh, calling for the bell. And uh, Shawn Michaels hops off the stage, goes and grabs a belt, and starts heading out. Meanwhile, you can see Brett giving like the biggest like what the fuck face to Vince before he spits at him, like just yeah. biggest spit in his face, you know. And you can tell he made contact too, because like you see Vince oh, from behind, he's like, cleaning he's, his face off. Yeah. yeah. Um. Two things happened during that time. The the first, uh, well, not the first, but um, the spitting being one of them. The second one, um, Sean looking extremely shocked when he's coming out of the ring. Yeah. About what happened. And it's very apparent, at least from the onset, it looks like it's very apparent that Sean Michaels has no idea what's going on because he doesn't remember Brett submitting. Um, But he's he's kind of taking his belt and hightailing it out of there. Yeah, we would find out, you know, fifteen years later. <laughs> yeah, Sean did know. We we maybe didn't cover this part as well. So the screw job part of this is, um, Brett doesn't want to lose the belt, and they basically tell him, "Okay, yeah, we'll let you keep it, and then you can lose the belt on Monday." You know, the the yeah. day after. And uh, behind the scenes, though, they're like, "Now nah, he's losing the belt." Yeah. Um, and so behind this, and that's that's not normal. Um, normally in matches, even today, um, the the two guys going in the ring know who's supposed to come out on top. Um, and so Brett's going into this match thinking, "I'm going to win the belt. I'm going to get the ad- adulation of my fans, and blah blah blah." And then I'm going to come out and lose the, lose tomorrow, but still walk away. Basically, you know, not losing a whole lot of face here. And uh, so he he um, and he, you know he's been told that by Vince, the leader of the company, that's what's going to go down. And uh, that's not uh, obviously um, behind the scenes. Vince Vince and uh, the referee, and certainly now we know Shawn Michaels and probably a couple of other key players like Triple H. Um, you told me a really good anecdote, which is that uh, Triple H kind of said, well, um, what was it exactly? If he doesn't want to do business, we'll make him do business. Yeah, which is essentially saying like... Or we'll do it for him or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah. fuck him. Like, who cares if he wants to lose the belt? He's going to the other team. Uh, we're, he's losing the belt. Uh, so, yeah, really interesting because th- th- that's another you know key part of this match is that it breaks that, that illusion you know there because there's that clear moment of there's no acting involved in that. You can see in Bret Hart's face... He's fucking pissed off, and he just spits right in Vince McMahon's face. And that's not staged. That's not a. Uh, that's not a, uh, a, a. You know, kayfabe whatsoever. That's just he's pissed off, and he's spitting in his face. Yeah. Um. There's more to it too than what we see in the actual match and whatnot, because later on, Brett goes backstage and confronts Vince, and, and Vince gets punched in the face as well. So yeah, there's there's other stuff there, but it was it's definitely um like you said before, and the the whole point of the Radio Lab thing is is where the lines become blurred between the the scripted part of wrestling versus real life. 
and this was definitely one of those things where the real life it, it ended on on much more of a real life note than where it started yeah and that's interesting here too because this is actually kind of the start of another jumping off point which is the attitude era and and um uh, the WWE, WWF at the time, and uh, that that is sort of the deliberate blending of those lines. Um, you know, so one of the things they did with that is uh, Vince got this reputation for being a giant dick, so they just ran with it. Uh, uh, you know, that becomes a character now. Mr. McMahon on the TV uh, on the show uh, becomes this asshole that's you know the constant foil for Stone Cold Steve Austin, which we've talked about in previous podcasts, and you know many of other wrestlers during I, the time. I would say that there's probably only a separation of three or four months between when people realized that Vince McMahon was the owner of the company versus just a guy who did commentary every week. Yeah. And then this match happening might've been longer, but it wasn't much. Yeah, for so. sure. Um, you know, which is another just interesting thing. So I don't know this, this match is interesting from a lot of different angles, but um, you know, I don't know. Our podcast is good, and I think we did a pretty decent job explaining it. But you should really check out the Radio Lab link we're going to put in there because even if you're not li- listen interested in wrestling whatsoever, they make it super interesting. Yeah, they actually get guys. Uh, they they bring in some guys and do interviews with people that uh, were there. Yeah, and or or not maybe were there, but um, were definitely part of the wrestling beat. Yeah, for their respective publications and things like that at the time. Um. I don't know this in many ways is one of the most important matches in kind of wrestling history, just in terms of what it yeah, did. It, it's a significant jumping off point for the next 10 years of wrestling. It, yeah. Cause I mean, if you, if you remember watching wrestling in the mid nineties um, as a kid or, or even as a, as an adult or anything like that, and you're just like, well, it's really not for me. Um, but then you found out that all this stuff happened later on with like Steve, Steve Austin and the rock and everything else. And you're like, well, how does what I watched then translate into what I'm hearing about now? Like Eddie said, this is a really good jumping off point. Like you could basically start at survivor series 97 and then watch everything after that and watch the, the build of, of the most important decade in wrestling history ever. Yeah, basically. So, all right. Um, if you want to talk about the Montreal Screwjob or anything else, you can go find us on Twitter. We are at whatever show. And we're very active on Twitter lately. We are. We got um, a lot of shit going on on Twitter. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash whatever. I will be the first one to admit, though, that a lot of what goes on Facebook happens on Twitter first. So yeah. if you want to interact with us, um, hit us up on the Twitter for sure. Yeah. I think it's at whatever show or uh, slash whatever show, isn't it? Facebook.com slash whatever, whatever show. show. Yep. Yeah. Close enough. Um, and then we've also got email too. If you want to do the old fashioned way questions at whatever.co. And if you want to sponsor us, um, you know, maybe we need to sell your, you know, DDP yoga, uh, uh, sponsors at whatever.co. Hypothetically, let's say you're Reebok. Yeah. <laughs> Just maybe. I know we've never mentioned this before, but what if you were Reebok and you needed some way to, uh, get the kids to know about your Reeboks? Uh, we could help you out. Yeah. Or Phil Knight, Nike. I mean, we'll take Nike money too. Nike money spends just as well as Reebok money. That's true. Unless you're a poor Asian kid. Um, (laughs) That's the show. We'll see you next week. Later.